And yet we were so professional moving into <laughs> new at ABR. I know, yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously. Right, are you ready right. to get going? Are you okay? Yeah. Sorry, what we doing? Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> right, folks, welcome back to a special episode of Brew Time. This is number 100. So who better to get on than Simon and Lisa Thomas, the Porsche and Bex of Motorcycle nice. Adventure Travel. How are you? All right. Hi, we're fine. We're all right. Honestly, I mean, we've been called. I've been called a few things. He's been called a lot of things. Actually. The Posh and is new. <laughs> I'm kind of liking it, actually. Excellent. Is that the way we're going to have to go? Money. That's really lovely, yeah. You'll have to start wearing like a sarong or something like that, Simon, you know, for the events. I haven't got the legs for it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> little, little, little long, 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 anorexic looking hairy legs. Not a good look. Gorgeous. No. She wear a kilt. This is a nice reversal because the last time we spoke properly, we were interviewing you. I know that was the ABR, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Are you going back? Are you going back next year? Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah, the same thing awesome. next year. Yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Um, so, at the moment, I can't. Yeah. At the moment, I can't make that, but um, I'm I might be able to shift a few things around. I never can. I'll I'll definitely be there. It was awesome. I really enjoyed this year's one. It was good fun. The weather was fantastic. We weren't dealing with all the ramifications of COVID and all the restrictions. Um, and yeah, I I I mean, we didn't (laughs) we actually didn't get to see an awful lot of the event because we were quite busy. But I think the biggest thing was just the atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere was just fun. Despite the, the, so many people, it was just, it felt small. Absolutely, yeah. They, they kept that sort of, I was really worried that the Overland events, that they're, they're normally very, quite small in number, aren't they? And they're very intimate. Yeah, they're and intimate. Really nice, yeah, really nice feel to it. And I thought, mm-hmm. when they told me 10, 15,000 people, I was like, this this is just going to lose everything that Overland travel has. And it didn't. It, it was, no. I don't know how they did it. It was lovely. But anyway, right. Yes. Um, do you have a tipple of choice? Obviously, it's uh, quarter to 11 on a Monday morning, so there's yeah, no so brew dog for me. me. Of course. No, it's Excellent. coffee, unfortunately. I do, feel slightly, I do feel slightly ostracised, Bruce, because your message said to us, normally this is an evening affair. It's really relaxed. It's kind of boozy. So what the, what the hell? Because that was like a lot more fun. Well, I, I said to you what what time, and you said quarter to eleven, and I thought, okay, well, you know, business like you got obviously got things to do, and you don't want to get hammered in the evening. That's fine. That's fine. Nice. Nice. <laughs> right. I need coffee. I've been uh, mm, slangs. I've been uh, out walking the dog this morning. She's caused me heart attacks. Just being an idiot. But anyway, right. We'll settle into this. Okay. Folks, if any of you have never heard of Simon and Lisa before, uh, where have you been? Basically, guys, can I can I hand the floor open to you and just introduce yourselves? What have you been doing for the last like two decades, pretty much? And then um, we'll go from there. Um, the short version, because some people <laughs> have heard this many times before. Um, in 2003, Lisa and I closed the front door to our house. We uh, we got on our two motorcycles and we set off to ride around the world for what we imagined was going to be a maximum of 16 months. Um, yeah. because how did that go? Who the hell can afford more than that, for God's sake? <laughs> yeah. Bearing in mind, it's, it's worth mentioning, this is before social media, and this is prior to you and Charlie even setting off. And then oh, you wow, fast yeah. forward, and we realised that we were having the time of our lives, and we realised that our values were changing. And, and we realised that we hadn't gone through the uh, 120 countries that we had planned to in 16 months. What a surprise. <laughs> um, we ended up spending a total of yeah, 16 and a half years on the road and racking up 507,000 miles. We, we came back to the UK 
for what was going to be just eight weeks because yeah. Lisa had got some very on, serious ongoing health that issues. Was no, November 2019. Mm-hmm. So I was here just for some medical attention. We, yeah. handed the, we handed the keys to our two motorcycles and effectively everything we own in the world to a friend of ours, a great friend, David Mays, who lives in Tennessee. And we said to him, okay, listen, thanks for looking after the bikes. We'll see you in eight weeks' time. Stepped on the plane with just hand luggage. Got off yeah. the plane this end. Uh, both got COVID before anyone knew what it was. And oh, then wow. the zombie apocalypse happened. And we've now been here for two and a half years. And we're working very hard to get back to our lives and back to our riding lives. Um, and in the meantime, we obviously readjusted to being back in the UK after almost two decades of continuous riding. I mean... That, that that's a podcast in itself. How the hell has that been? How have you how have you dealt with being, you know, well, free as a bird to to back to normality? It's very interesting because it's it's only now that I'm beginning to get really itchy feet and be a bit eh about it all. Yeah. But I came back because I wasn't well. So mm. I had that period of time when I don't think well, it wasn't safe for me to ride. I wouldn't have been riding. I didn't have the energy to walk up 50 steps, let alone put my leg over a motorcycle. So uh, it hasn't affected me as dramatically as you would imagine because of that. Mm. Uh, However, Simon, I think he's probably had a lot harder time because not only did he not have the freedom and the riding and and our lives on the road, but he also had me to worry about as well. Normally, Mm. the other way around. Normally, I'm always looking after him and worrying about him. You know, you guys, you need it, don't you? I've got that T-shirt that says I'm a professional shit magnet. I wear it regularly. Yeah, I need to borrow that. Yeah. So no, no, it's 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 definitely been it's definitely been a huge adjustment. Probably larger, no, definitely larger than we were both anticipating. Largely because we weren't anticipating anything. Mm. We weren't anticipating any kind of shift. Uh, and a few friends of ours have said, well, why why don't you get back there now? What, you know, what's stopping you? The borders have opened. And as we've explained a few times, to a few people's genuine surprise, we self-fund this. We don't get paid mm. to ride around the world. We've got fantastic sponsors that over the years have supported us um, significantly with parts and, and parts for the bike, et cetera. Um, but obviously, two years of being stationary has has made a huge dent um, in any kind of incomes that we did generate. But you know that situation where you look back over your shoulder and you go, where's two and a half years gone? Because you yeah. think, well, I'll, I'll do this for another few days, for another few weeks. Yeah. And then only with hindsight, you look back and you go, wow, this has been a while. So the adjustment has been vast because we just didn't know what to expect. The upside is that mentally we've become quite attuned to being very physically and mentally flexible because at the end of each day, realistically speaking, when we're traveling, we don't know what the day is going to bring towards us. We don't know what challenges we're going to face. We don't know where we're going to be sleeping each evening. And Lisa and I have learned to thrive on that. So the fact that the fact that this huge change has come our way, we, we did have we had the mental strength and flexibility to deal with it, but it certainly hasn't been easy as much because of the just the lack of riding. I mean, Lisa and I, we're getting known as photographers and, and, mm. and, and, and cooking people and, and educators. Speaking. But fundamentally, when, we, when we're thinking about ourselves, we're riders. riders, everything yeah. we do is because that's what puts the biggest smile on our faces. Um, but the bigger challenge we've had or that I've had is the fact that 
you know when you you know when you close your eyes and you and you and you have this self image. We've all got a self image of who we are. Well, for twenty years, that's been with a set of motocross boots and a set of handlebars yeah. and a bike. And there is nothing in our little cabin. There's not even a motorcycle magazine that suggests we have a connection with motorcycles. So it has been a case of very much. Well, if we're not riding right now, who, who are you? Who are we? Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, imposter syndrome that I keep reading about, you know, we're, we're giving talks and we're giving interviews. We've not been on a proper challenging bike ride for two and a half years. So there is that, even be, even before coming on here and talking to you, it's like, well, you know, do we still qualify as adventure riders? Do we, oh, are we still God. riders? We don't have bikes. Do you know how ridiculous that, that, that sounds to an outsider uh, for you guys to say that? <laughs> but I get it. I totally yeah. get it. Like, even for me, like it's 10 years. It's, it'll be 10 years next month when I left to do my trip. And I'm like, when I get asked to go and do talks, I, I'm exactly the same. I'm like, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've done it. It's like, there's plenty of other people out there doing stuff now. It's like, why, why do you want to talk to me? <laughs> I'm just like some fat old boy that does silly videos on YouTube now. That's, that's all I think. But yeah, um, th- there's, there's an interest there, isn't there? There's, mm-hmm. there, I think the overland travel, the adventure travel, I think that's stronger than ever now. I, I thought it was dying away and it seems to really picked up and peaked again. I think it's because of the period of time that people have been prevented from travel. I think there's a lot of uh, wishing and dreaming and planning going on. Um, Well, we all want the things that we're told we can't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I was having a chat the other day about this, and I'm not sure that overland travel will get back to the level, I was going to say ease. Well, I the, quest, ease. the question, the, the conversation we were having is, has the golden age been and gone? Mm. And I mm. think the golden age was as much about people's need to go and travel and explore and our want in tandem with looking back now, the rel- relative ease. I yeah. mean, since COVID um, and the world has unquestionably changed, it is going to become a lot more bureaucratic. A, because there is a certain need for more more provisions and health checks. Countries have become more inward looking, more yeah. nationalistic, way mm-hmm. more um, than they ever ever used to be. You've also and got a number of organisations and countries who are simply going to see an opportunity for basically some quick money by bringing in more bureaucracy, by bringing mm-hmm. in those safeguards. Because honestly, yeah. the only reason to make it harder, globally speaking, is because there's money to be made. Absolutely, yeah. If there's a demand, then you can make some fuck out of it can't you? yeah sure. exactly so whether the golden age has been and gone i don't know it's, it's like anything i'm not sure there ever is a golden age it's you only get to call something a golden age irrespective of what it is based on the benefit of hindsight absolutely oh, you're so wise. Oh, <laughs> by the way yeah so I don't, I don't know i mean I, at the end of the day as long as there's a, a need and as long as there's a want for people to get out there and explore past their comfort zones yeah, um, that's that's fantastic, and there is no wrong reason to travel. Absolutely, and and I think I think as always, that's the difference between those who dream and those who actually do, isn't it? Is that whatever the obstacles are in front of you, whether that's funding it, getting the time to go, the bureaucracy of it, the physical and mental hardness of 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 being away for that length of time, and what yeah. what you deal with day to day. If you really want to do it, then you just put up with that. You 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 figure out solutions. You work over it, under it, round it, however it mm-hmm. is you do, you you get there, don't you? And it's that's I think that for me is what makes the difference between the ones that go, oh, I really want to do that, and those that go, 
fuck, I'm doing it. I'm I'm living it. I'm living the dream. And you come back with the stories to tell, don't you? Your life changes. It, it's been quite interesting as well. People say, oh, you should be back on the road by now. Yeah. And I remind people that it was only three weeks ago now that I had the A-OK yeah. uh, from the cardiac guys. So yeah. it, it was it was all very well thinking, yes, I want to do it, but can I and should I do it until I got that all OK? Um and also, and the answer is no. You shouldn't. Yeah, because... The insurance policies would have just laughed at me anyway. Yeah. Insurance policies. Well, I mean, anybody, anybody. Don't be sure you. <laughs> they're going. You want what? No way. <laughs> are, you, are you okay to talk about your your health issue, Lisa? Are you yeah. all right talking about it? Was it yeah, an arrhythmia? Is that right? Erratic... Brain, put it back in. <laughs> is it was it an erratic heartbeat? Is that is that what you had, or is there more to it? Oh, please use all the really big names. There's, it so cool. there's a little bit more to it, but right. um, most most people know it as erratic heartbeat. They'll say that it's um, um, yeah, erratic heartbeat is probably. Can the best I add way. in my two pennies worth before you <laughs> totally play it down like you always do? Can I stop you from talking? No, it's just <laughs> impossible. <laughs> Four hereditary heart issues that were serious enough that at one point I genuinely thought I was going to lose my wife because after six days she couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get out of bed because her resting heart rate was 36. Not enough oxygen going around her body, not enough oxygen going to her brain. Then the next second, it would be 220. Wow. Um, Left bundle branch block. So I know, I mean, again, Liz has been dealing with this pretty much her entire life. Um, and it's but only the, been recent years that we've made it public knowledge because we thought it was appropriate. The AFib, atrial fibrillation did actually mm. get a lot, lot worse. Um, really starting from about eight years ago, it would have me bedridden, which is all very well when you've got a bed, but when you've got a tent, yeah. it makes it a lot harder. Yeah. Um, and and it just it mounted and got worse and worse and worse and to the point where even I had to go, yeah, I need this looked at properly. Mm. Um and um, then my father had passed away in the interim um, with very similar um, issues, um, and it, it was just a just brought it all home um, mm. that at the age of sixty he had a quadruple heart bypass, and I've just turned sixty, and so you take a step back and you go, "Huh, yeah. isn't actually that old?" Mm. Well, that's what I think now. <laughs> it's not though, is it? These Quite days, old. it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Bruce. How old are you? People think I'm lying when I say this. I'm 45, but I know I I know I look 85, but I'm 45. <laughs> no, seriously, you don't look a day. See, when I shave, when I my lights all, I've put the light in the wrong place. When I shave my beard off, I look yep. about eight. I've got a proper baby face, hence why I keep the beard. Seriously, I would milk the baby face for as long as possible. Sounds quite well. Milk the baby. That did sound wrong. No. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> You've got great skin. What am I trying to use? Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's it's in, well, not in, interesting. Is the wrong word. I I also do, I think I messaged you actually at one point, and and I I developed atrial fibrillation at some point in the trip. I don't know when, but when I got back from the trip. Um, my old role in the police used to involve carrying a, a firearm, and we have to do a, like a yearly fitness test to 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 qualify for your firearms license. Yeah, and I I literally it's a beat test, and I remember getting to like level three, which is a it's a walk, and and I was 
I was tired like I've never felt tired before. You know, I, I just had nothing. And I think I got to, I managed to get myself to like level six and thought I was, I just thought I'm going to lie down and that's the end of me. I'm, I'm done. Just empty. So I thought, that's not right. End up going to the doctors and they discovered I had atrial fibrillation. And it really knocked me for six for a lot, even after the, I had the cardio version. It was like, is it coming back? What, you know, what's what's going on? And thankfully, yeah. I've I've been all right ever since. And that's, sheesh, that's, God, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, I think, since I yeah. had it done. But yeah, yeah, it, it really young knocks you out. That. You were quite mm-hmm. young. Yeah. Interestingly, they think, the, the doctors think I got dengue fever at one point over in Southeast Asia. I think I was in mm. Indonesia or somewhere like that. They think okay. I picked up dengue fever and they're not sure if maybe that has, has something to do with it or the fact for a year and a half, I lived on like Gatorade, about three liters of Gatorade every day. And they were like, they, you know, energy type drinks as well. They they can have an effect. So I was like, there's I another, know. there's new uh, um, discussion going on at the moment as well about how many. I he's sponsored by Gatorade. <laughs> how many um, top athletes um, are suffering from AFib at the moment as well. Um, oh, right. there's some An research, unprecedented number. Yeah, there's some research going into that at the moment, which I'm very, very interested. Um, I used to be incredibly fit in my early 20s and um, into uh, natural bodybuilding mm-hmm. and competition and everything. I loved it. Notice I say natural bodybuilding. Um, and, <laughs> get, um, get that in there. Yeah. And they're actually um, trying to see whether or not there's a, a correlation between um, extreme fitness um, and then a development of atrial fibrillation. Um, yeah, it, it, it'll, I'm reading it all the time, aren't I, really? I, I have always said, and I hope some of my old PTIs are watching this, I've always said running is bollocks. And it looks like the scientific proof that, that follows that. And so if it's not bollocks, right. it can hurt your bollocks. <laughs> it, it can, absolutely. Especially yeah, as you get a bit older and you get a bit bigger in Dagley. <laughs> There we go. No alcohol required. And he does for like 7 30 in the evening. God, he looks so young, doesn't he? Oh god. Oh right. Let's uh let's get back to the trip then because we kind of just stepped over that that 15, 16 years on the road. The whole point of your trip, I think, originally, am I right, that you wanted to do all seven continents and you wanted to ride basically the full length of all the continents. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. And we also wanted to ride from the lowest point to the highest point possible on each continent. Oh, wow. I, I mean, missed that. Quite, wow. Yeah, so quite literally, and this, again, it sounds so silly now, but also I think it's, it's when, I, when I say the words, I can hear it. We literally sat in bed and we, we were going through Chris Scott's Adventure Motorcycling Handbook. Mm-hmm. That's lovely bedtime reading. She put yeah. me on bloody commission for the number of times I mentioned <laughs> yeah. the book. But if anyone, if anyone hasn't heard of it, go and just go online, go and look. It's still available. Chris Scott's Adventure Motorcycling Handbook. It's very difficult to get across in, in a day and age where we are so. It's not that we're used to having social media. It's that most people simply can't imagine a world without it. So they want Absolutely. the information. They go Google it. I'll yeah. Google mm-hmm. it. Well, that that wasn't the option. Yeah. So we actually read a book. So yeah. basically, after after working a crazy hours, you know, Monday to Friday, 
our weekend would start off lying in bed on a Saturday morning with a big pot of coffee. We got rid of the TV because we were saving money and you know, video license, TV license and so forth. And we would just pour over bike magazines and Chris's book, The Adventure yeah. of Motor Cycling Handle. There weren't many bike magazines either. There were a few around. But the point the point is that we we then came up with these ridiculously wonderful goals because someone said to me recently, so so why? And I remember flippantly, this is just two weeks ago, because why not? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's go from the highest point to the lowest point in terms of altitude. Let's go from, let's get to all seven continents. I mean, at the time, the only thing that matched our optimism was our naivety. And the fact that it hadn't been done before, I said to Lisa, oh, it can't be that difficult. It's, they just couldn't be bothered. They just didn't try hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> one one word, one word, Everest. Oh my God. <laughs> How did that go, dragging, dragging the BMW up there? <laughs> it was a little challenging. At least, at least let the team down with a heart condition, but I compensated and I carried on. Good lad. Was like, Good lad. I, did. I got both bikes up there. It was great. Cameras bust, so no proof, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, why, why set these goals? Genuinely, why why not? Why not Absolutely. test yourself? Why not see what you and the world are capable of? We didn't want to just go off and meander about. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that we had an exact route, but there was some planning that went on and and keeping the the seasons and making sure that I still have my little paper map that I had, which is about Brilliant. just A4. And yeah. I color coded all these areas and I said, this area here is blue. And it's not to be travelled in in April to June <laughs> yeah. because the floods. This area here for tornadoes. This because it's winter and so on and so on. Bruce, you know those weird people that genuinely get erotically aroused by Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> You've married one of them, then. <laughs> And I still had this little thing and I carry it around with me. And then I go, well, we can't go here at this season or we shouldn't. And this obviously it doesn't always work out. Sometimes mm. you're in the wrong place at the wrong time season wise. Um, and, and so I had a rough plan and a rough guesstimation as to where we were going to go. I do think your version of rough and the rest of the world's version of rough is somewhat different. <laughs> yes, but I didn't have a set route, not like some people that we have met along the road we've got we've got friends of ours and they know who they are greg hilchey who has a map he knew every single toilet stop he knew where he was getting milk for his tea in the morning I really mean, military, military precision mm. i, I was the polar this. opposite of that polar opposite <laughs> he knew every single fuel stop it was it was actually bloody impressive i mean years and years worth of planning and i've had a number of conversations with a few friends who've done something similar and i've said look from experience i can tell you the best adventures and the best moments of your trip are going to be when these plans just fall on their face totally. and things organically happen and you're going to meet amazing people and have these incredible experiences that you simply cannot imagine having before you left so go back to the original thing we didn't want to meander but we mm -hmm. wanted to have a rough guesstimation as to where we might be and where we could possibly go. And that's always fluctuating. We said 120 countries because at that point, there were quite a few countries uh, which you couldn't or you shouldn't access. Now, at days, we would probably reconsider 
because we've been into countries that are apparently war-torn mm-hmm. and wars have started once we've been in the country. Um, and it, it doesn't really affect you in the same way as it does the actual local uh, people that live there. It is a very different um, it's a very different experience. There's a different the reality space. between, between yeah. well, you know this, Bruce, there's a different reality between how the media portrays a situation oh, yeah. in a region or a country and, and, yeah. and then you actually get there and you realise very quickly that actually no, the country's not at war, it's just the two most powerful people in that country are mm. killing you know, I mean, because they can it, it is different over land or rights or something. In certain countries these days, yes, it's affecting the entire population and there are certain parts of the world now which uh, we wouldn't dream of, mm. of entering. Um, but I think our attitude has changed somewhat with what is a no-go area. For us, yeah, yeah, you, you trust your own sort of spidey senses way more, yeah. don't you? You, you learn, you learn that there—that's what you can trust—is is your own feelings and people that you you trust and and, and value their opinion when yeah. they are on the ground over there. Definitely, the media—I don't—I don't listen to what the media say anymore. Now you said something very interesting there on the ground. So this is a big change that we've experienced during our, our time on the road. Um, when we first started, there would always be that almost camaraderie. You would see another traveller, whether it be somebody hiking or on a bicycle, motorcycle. Um, and Which you was a rarity would, often. You would invariably pass each other and you'd stop. You'd turn mm. around and you'd have a meeting in the middle of nowhere. You'd chat. Yeah. They'd been where you're going and vice versa. You would exchange views, even about somewhere to stop or wherever. Um, you might even exchange currency if, if mm. that was a possibility. Um, less so these days. Really? Uh, it, we have found so. Yeah, yeah. La- I would argue the last five to ten years, there's been a noticeable change in the it, – it's almost – and this is just my read – it's almost as though the people, I mean, we, we waved to everybody. Mm. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the number of times, I'm again, we're on two big bikes, we've got all the gear, you know, it's quite clear that, you know, we've, we've been traveling for a while, blah, blah, blah. And the number of people that wouldn't just not wave would absolutely blank you. It's almost yeah. as though my journey is so special and I'm, I'm such a, a serious adventurer that in recognising somebody similar coming the other way, it somehow demeans what they were doing. We'd we'd wave and we'd pull up and we'd go... Oh. That was that's all part of it, wasn't it? That was the part of it, meeting people on the road and like when you met met them... That's the biggest change you've seen. Wow. Um, And it's... If it was was once or twice or three or half a dozen times, you know, you can't make a judgement call because... Hey, they've had a bad day. Hey, they've had some bad news. Whatever, they're stinking hot, they're ill. But no, this is actually now it's become what we we noticed. The person that waves back and stops, and you have that comrade that hey, they are now the rarity versus the norm. Um, Why why that is? Don't know. I put it down to uh, people are going to hate me for saying this. I put it down to uh, the rise in social media. People don't need that interaction because they believe was, that they can get all of that information from online. I was just uh, thinking they, that. I wonder if social media has had that impact because that's, it's that's what I think. It's it's made people. It it seems to have made this. I'm saying this. We're doing this via technology, yeah. aren't we? But but you know, if we could, we'd be in the same room and do it. It's made the one-on-one sort of conversation 
that's that isn't valued, I don't think, anymore no. by a lot of people. As as you just said, if people sit there and just chat away on social media, DM, like, like people think just by liking something, and I think I'm kind of guilty of that at times. You think, oh, because I've like I've liked my mates' pictures, I'm keeping in touch. But you're not, are you? You're not chatting no. on the phone. You're not meeting face to face. The biggest issue, I mean, social media has been absolutely fantastic for Lisa and I because. It's enabled us to share our journey totally. a lot more rapidly. Yeah. It's a fantastic our- tool, isn't it? Yeah. Selfishly, it's allowed us to... We got on the road. We didn't know anything. I'd never taken a photograph. Lisa had taken snapshots. Suddenly, we were compelled to record our journey when people weren't mm. recording this kind of thing because social media didn't exist. Because we were so blown away and so moved by what we were seeing and experiencing. And it was all for the first time that we felt compelled. We didn't want to. We needed to share this with the friends and the families that we love back home. So social media has been fantastic, as has all the work into the website we've had over the years, because if you want to boil it all down to one message, the message is we're we're riding around the world utterly clueless at that time, thinking, God, if we can do this, anyone can. This Mm -hmm. is doable. Now, whether it's doable for six months, six years, six decades, ask each, each person to find out. The downside with social media is that it has made information so accessible that we now take it for granted. And there's that yeah. wonderful expression about, um, oh, it slipped out of my head. Basically, when you take something for granted, it loses its value. Um, right. so as, so as you've just said, um, familiarity breeding contempt. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. In, information is now so readily available, and there is so much of it that... I think unless you've actually had to really input a degree of work in uncovering that piece of information, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it has the value that it used to have. Um, if when things come that easy, mm. um, you don't. I mean, you don't have to learn something these days because well, when I want that information, you know, I'll, I'll just go on my fingertips and, I'll, and yeah. I'll look it up. But it also means going back to your example. We're now we're now in a society where I said I'm a dad, where liking and swiping is is just well, there's an opinion. I've just expressed it. Yeah. And you've obviously and, and people these days can also express a negative and a positive opinion with such ease and with so little consequence. Now I know mm. this is turning into a conversation about social media, and generally speaking, social media I think has been a very, very positive thing. But on the fringes of that conversation, social media has had a profound impact on on how we communicate face to face. Not mm. only how we communicate, but how we interpret how each of us is communicating. Yeah. And I think there's some downsides that, that we've noticed because we've been on the outside looking in. We we see it. I'm saying we. Uh, obviously, I've I've left the police now, but but. I could see it in the police before I left and my wife is still serving and and all my friends that were in the job they're still there. They all they all say this with with the youngsters that are coming in now into the into the police especially, you know, 19, 20, 21 years of age. He said they they don't have the interpersonal skills which yeah. which people like used to have and especially coppers because contrary to what everyone thinks your first tool in that role is your voice it's communication you know Mm -hmm. you you want to be able to talk to people and hopefully you don't have to thump them you can resolve the situation verbally before it has to get 
you know, escalate to the next level. And, and you can just, read body language and absolutely. read the situation yeah. and understand yeah. if you do this, that, and the other, the consequences potentially might be this. So you anticipate totally. all that. I think absolutely. the body language is, is one of the prime elements of, of travel. Mm. You go into these countries. One of the prime elements or just one of the skills? Both. So, um, <laughs> top out, okay? Um, you, you go into these countries, you can't speak the language. Maybe you yeah. a smattering of words here and there. And you have to gauge the feeling of an area, uh, how people are interacting. You've got to look at what's going on over there and the person that you're speaking to. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. And mm. that is a massive part or it should be a massive part of your journey and your travel through different countries. Absolutely. I know, Bruce, you'll know the numbers better than we do. What is it, 90, 95% of all communication isn't verbal? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's, it is ridiculously high, yeah. Um, and it's basically these little receptors in our brain that pick up certain nuances and intonations in the voice. But when, you know, we've been through... 80 countries, and okay, we, we speak very badly or enthusiastically four or five languages between us. But on the whole, you were, were basically consciously or subconsciously, as, as the full-time travelers we were, we were relying much more heavily on, as we were speaking before we went on air, that gut instinct, that mm. practiced, and it is a practiced skill of body language and an atmosphere and an eye glances and being aware of the situations around you. Um, because one of the questions we get asked an awful lot is, okay, riding around the world, well, isn't it dangerous? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a whole bunch of flipping answers that I usually come back with in relation to this conversation. Um, it's only dangerous. I'm, I'm a shit magnet. And so it's very, very, very unlikely that Lisa and I have been just lucky enough to go through half a million miles, you know, six continents, and not been put in harm's way um, mm -hmm. just based on luck. You do end up developing a set of, you know, spider senses, as we were joking earlier. And you realize that although we all call it oh, that gut instinct, your gut instincts may not be tangible in the same way as vision and hearing. But you learn very quickly, if you've got half a brain, to be aware of what your gut instinct says. And even if you can't mm. rationalize why your gut instinct is yelling, get the fuck out of here, mm -hmm. chances are if you listen to it, you're going to be doing the right thing and the smart thing. It's it's interesting you saying that. I totally believe you. I, I, I totally agree with you, sorry. But I think for me personally, it almost worked against me when I when I moved into not just Africa, but, you know, certainly when I went into Mauritania, where it all went a wee bit wrong for me. And I think it was because, I think it was because that was my first experience of life outside of this sort of first world bubble. You know, I'd, I'd never done any overland travel outside of Europe. And yeah. then I was, then I was going down West Africa and not only go down West, I was going down West Africa during a time when, you know, the Boko Haram Islamic fundamentalists were, were overrunning some of the countries. So it was just like a real heightened situation. And my, my like spidey senses, my police head was just like, holy, everyone's got AKs, you know, everyone's pointing guns at you and wanting money every um every fish stop because that's just what the police do you know yeah. they they just do you know it's not they're not going to kill you it's just that's what they do right you know take you know, they, they're going to chance their arm to get some money off you and that day in day out day in day out umpteen times a day and then a few other things 
it just blew my mind, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I often think now, having done the trip, I'd love to go back and redo Africa. Do it again, yeah. yeah. It is a ba- that is a baptism by fire. Totally, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it's, do you think it's different because you were traveling as a solo guy? Yeah, and I think because I was doing it on, because I did it on the Jixar with, and it, you know, I, I did it on a bike that was covered, like yourselves, it was covered in in like company logos and people's names and I had the leathers on. I looked like I was worth a million dollars. So you're straight away, you're a target. You know, they don't see bikes like that. Plus, you're covered in all this stuff. So they just think you're rich, you're coming through here. Ding, 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 dinner bell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think because I ended up meeting up with a, a an older chap who was riding a Ural and he was riding that down to to Cape Town. So we buddied up for a bit of Mauritania, just because we we both heard it was going to be a bit tasty. And um, like we'd go along the road, and the kids would be running alongside, smiling and waving at him. And then I'd come along, and they'd take the shoes off and spit and throw the shoes at me. It was just a polar opposite, polar opposite reaction. Do you get the same in the UK too? <laughs> My wife does it to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We, we were on our original. Oh, Bruce, the safe words always pineapple, mate. <laughs> just pineapple. <laughs> We were on our original bike, so they were left loaded. That's the voice of experience. And and, uh, the newer bikes, um, obviously a a tiny bit more flash and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, got some more logos on them, et cetera. But the original bikes were less so, but they were still unusual to be seen. Although I say that, uh, the Dakar was run quite a few times, and so um, quite a few times, always in that area. Um, And we would get... We would get kids running along, uh, going kado, 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 and always rally, rally, and everything. So it, it it was maybe a different. Was that a French accent? But African French. Is African French? Yes. Rally, rally. <laughs> but I mean, okay, a slight detour. I think it's important though to get across that, even though you were saying that you know you're not, you weren't fundamentally rich. Ultimately, the very fact that as Europeans. We're on this gargantuan holiday oh, yeah. on these bikes. It's very, very difficult to convey to to friends and family that haven't been through these areas. No matter how many um, charity commercials you see on mm. TV with children with pot bellies and flies, you know, drinking the fluid from their eyes, which are horrendous. Being there is the only way you you genuinely have that sense of these people have nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Um, and then here and then here you are riding through with more more the value in the helmets will yeah. ever earn in their entire lifetimes altogether. We've had a very hard time mentally coming to grips with the fact that all you end up doing at the end of each day, once you've got past that, oh, well, what an experience is learning to hate yourself a little bit less yeah. because unless you, unless you're a robot all you want to do is take everything you've got and give it to these people because by comparison they have well they, they don't have anything mm. um and it, i find it i find it very very difficult to legitimize not doing that on a daily basis mm. um whether that was africa whether that was parts of india I mean, any developing countries well day-to-day basis you are confronting you know genuine hardship Mm. And then flipping conversations. So we were talking earlier about, you know, Lisa and I now being back here unexpectedly and those mental shifts. 
I spend a good deal of my day when I'm speaking to, to friends and family online or even at events, just biting my tongue when I hear, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm bored of being broke. Oh, I haven't got any money. Because you want to become that that voice of reason that says, listen, but mm. you can because it's not my job. So it's, it's not my right. And it, it's not, yeah. and it won't be taken in, in the right way. It's relative. And oh. it is. Exactly. We're a totally different world, aren't we? This yeah. is a totally different world in which we live. You know, you <clears throat> it, it is weird. Here in, in, in this country um, are exceedingly high, especially at the moment, mm. but they're, they're a different set of pressures. doesn't mean to say they're any worse, they're any harder, they're any better, it's any easier. It is just different. And I think mm-hmm. that, that that's the most important element you can carry with you is that every country... And every Indigenous person is experiencing different lifestyles to yours. You can't make um, you can't make assumptions. You shouldn't make judgments yeah. until you've actually been there and experiencing it yourself. And you'll always experience it from an outside view, but to try and put yourself in that situation and basically a sense is bite your tongue and keep mm-hmm. your opinions to yourself until you know a little more. Especially at the especially at the moment, because quite genuinely in this country. You have you have got people that previously thought money was tight, but actually now are genuinely thinking, I don't know, I don't know. I've got I've now got to make a choice between food and, and heating. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the the UK, I think we're I think we're now facing the next couple of years of, you know, for a lot of people, life changing decisions based on the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't have anything to do with travel or anything else. But again, it's a it's a huge it's a huge shift. Um, and again, it's just one of those things where you think, you know, you've you've got to a certain point in your life, and you've got X number, X amount of experience under your belt, and you think you've got things dialed in. Um, the COVID situation, the global pandemic, that was the kind of thing that we've only really ever seen in Hollywood movies. Yeah. But do you think that that's actually going to change people's attitude towards travel and and make them? want to travel more or well, make them I, I do I, I mean I, I don't I don't know about you guys but you know I I, I do tours well I did tours um as as well as as the YouTube stuff I would take people to Spain and Europe and stuff on the bikes and um obviously during COVID I've stopped all that but I have noticed in the last certainly this year I, I, I mean I Multiple times a day, I'm getting messages and emails and DMs from people going, when's your tour start? I just want to hit the road. There is a hunger there from at the moment. Maybe that will change as we progress through winter with, with the increase. standard of living. I, I, I kind of think it will. For those that can do it, everybody just wants to go. Everyone I know who has a tour business, uh, holiday home, everything like that, anyone that's that's based around travel, they're all saying, they're literally there are not enough days in the year for us to meet the demand everybody wants out everybody wants away you've you've got you if you look at just the uk and this conversation Lisa and i have with so many people and what filters out is listen i've i've got a ton of pressure on my shoulders i'm looking after my family i'm looking after my friends i've had two two and a half absolutely shitty years yeah i deserve something and then you've also got that massive amount of I just need to escape. I just need to escape this yeah. pressure, this, yeah. this constant onslaught. Even when, you're, even when you're, not, you're not working, the minute you turn on the TV, you can't get away from 80%, you know, 
don't turn the TV on. Just oh, don't turn the TV. We don't have on. one. I don't watch the news. I, I I didn't know about the Queen till my till my my wife came home from work and she was just like, I'm probably just going to have to pack a bag, turn around, and go back in. I was like, well, What do you mean? And she was like, Oh, the, you're not seeing the news. The Queen, the Queen's ill. She she might not make it. No. Like, what? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just find I just find the media these days. The, the, the media. Here we go. I'm going to put the old man hat on and have a rant here. But the media, growing up, the news to me always was just I I I felt or assumed maybe the news was just relaying fact to me. But as you get older and you start experiencing life for yourself, and certainly my own role you know, dealing, actually physically dealing with situations within London that you then go home and watch the news and go, that's not fucking true. That's not how it happened. You know, and, and this is from like the BBC and but Sky. News and, doesn't make good news, does absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. And it's news all watchable news. Yeah. I think yeah. we had, um, during our first years of travel, I think it was, it was the first five years. So from when we started 2003 to 2008, we were social media free. Mm-hmm. We were commitment free. Um, it wasn't until we turned up in North America in 2008 that we kind of caught up with the world. Um, and I reckon that first five years. There was this thing called Adventure Motorcycle. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, we were exceedingly lucky to have that first five years as totally solitary and independent. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to get back to that, please. But I don't, I don't think that's a possibility. Um, do you not think it is though? Do you not think you guys have, you guys have such an established brand and name now that if you were to just go and hit the road, and we didn't hear from you, you know, even if you did once a week or once a month, a little update there, and then you know, I don't know, maybe what, maybe once a month you did an update. I reckon there would still be such a hunger there for people to see what you've been up to, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be pressured into that. What really is now, it has to be a daily thing of of not even sadly not even pictures anymore of it, is it? It's it's all reels, it's videos, short little videos. Mm-hmm. But there's just a demand and expectation that that you'll do that daily. Yeah. Do you know what? Okay, I, I know this conversation keeps coming back to social media, um, but it's but- such a big part of life now. <laughs> It, it's, a, it's it's a huge part of most people's lives in developed mm. countries, but it's also yes. it's almost like it's almost as though a lot of people are now looking at travel because obviously, again, because we're relatively well known in the adventure community or the <clears> biking community, people are are asking us questions, and where where we can, we'll answer and we'll answer honestly. And some people like the answers, and some people just go, "Well, that that can't be right," and they'll do their own thing. But there's almost this sense now that you cannot go off and travel. You can go off and have potentially life-changing, life-enriching yeah. experiences without social media. Yeah. As though somehow social media validates is, your is, it, mm-hmm. it, it either validates your journey or it glues it all together. And I know that Lisa and I have done ourselves a tremendous disservice by not jumping on on this bandwagon to the extent that um, well, well-meaning well friends and family think we should. Um, oh, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And we don't post regularly. Um, we, well, have, we have times of, um, uh, uh, we, we, we had this uh, um, observation made by a close friend and he said, you go dark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you disappear off and you go 
totally dark and no one knows where you are or what you're doing. Um, so you need to post once or twice or three times a week yeah. or at least once a day. And like, we, well, we, we've gone, but we had actually realised we did it because we just mm. went out there and did it. But yeah, then yeah. the journey's not if the journey if the journey isn't fundamentally. For, for Lisa and myself, I mean, the level of commitment, the amount of sacrifice you end up making, you know this. Mm. The word selfish is almost a no-no. Oh, you, we can't be selfish. Yes, you bloody well can be and should yeah. be. Um, there are occasions where if you look completely honestly and you go, okay, what is my motivation? Um, our motivation for our journey is because we fundamentally find it enriching we think we are better people we like ourselves more when we're on the bikes out of our comfort zone no, i have to tell you let me get it right out <laughs> and at the front of our brains isn't always oh this will make a great selfie shot i mean actually we're awful at selfies i i don't like selfies selfies have a place but to anyone listening to this just remember if you're in front of the grand canyon or in front of somewhere beautiful you don't need to you be don't in. need to be in it. <laughs> yeah, use that way. We yeah. believe you're there. <laughs> so ultimately, we we have not been we've not been as commercially successful as we could have been for one really simple reason. We set out in 2003, never thinking anybody other than family would be interested. Mm. It was never a commercial venture, and even the commercialization that people have seen is because. It costs money. Mm-hmm. You've got to fund it. And You've got to fund we've, it. And we've got to fund it. Um, we had somebody throw mud at us a little while ago, actually it was last year, uh, about selling our photographs online. Really? <laughs> well, why aren't you giving them away free? Um, I'm not sure. Why don't you give blowjobs for free? <laughs> um, <laughs> primarily because... Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you find it, the Mauritanian thing. What do you think? I was walking a dog this morning. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, I thought I was up under the bridge. Got another journey. No, but hang on. Let me, so, so jo- you're not jo- finished. Jo- I'm not finished. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, you've got to put fuel in the bikes. Absolutely. And so, and so it's not a case of, it's not a case of for us, because the accusation are you've sold out your journey. And I said to this person, are you kidding me? We post we post as and when we think there's something worth sharing, mm. um, as and when we do something that we go, oh, my God, that was amazing, amazingly mm. good or amazingly bad. Um, we've had, we had shit a couple of years ago in Cuba for posting up videos of when things went very bad and Lisa had that bad accent smashed in mm. her face. Oh, you shouldn't put that up. I said to that person, shit happens. Shit, look, it's the reality of travel. The reality of, of travel, the reality of life is that good and bad things happen. And yeah. as much as we want to inspire people to get out there and and and, and, and enrich their lives. There has to be realization of there the are reality. consequences too. Mm-hmm. Um but it get, it's just very, very interesting how travel has somehow become so interwoven and interconnected with social media mm. that people think you can't have one without the other. And you absolutely can and possibly should for a little while. You can't, and it's it can also be a good way of funding, of helping to fund that trip. You know, case in point, yeah, you know, Itchy Boots. You, you yep. look at Itchy Boots, not really what she's doing. I mean, she's making an incredible income from what she does. But as somebody that makes videos and, and puts on social content and who has traveled, yes, I am gobsmacked at the, the work that she must be putting in 
just to, to create her online presence and the vids and the content that she does. It's phenomenal. The number phenomenal. of hours is phenomenal. insane. And I yeah. promise if she actually came out and said, this is how many hours that it makes, that it takes not just to physically craft it, but how much time you end up thinking about the camera will go there, I'll go mm-hmm. over here, the light, just the all-consuming time. Most people would go, what? That, yeah, that there's right. There's there's it's huge good. debate, isn't there? There's a lot of people out there that think she must have people edit everything for her. And do you know what I say? Even if she does, she still has to film all this, yeah. and yeah. even that takes a lot of effort and time. It and does. It, it does take away from from your experience, doesn't it? Because sometimes the last thing you want to do is get a camera out and talk to a camera. But often that's that is the time when you need to do it, isn't it? I was given a piece of advice by a professional filmmaker years and years ago. Um, in fact, Sterling Norrin, if you're listening now, thanks for this, buddy. I'm claiming it as my own. He said, the very best time to get a camera out, be it a still camera or a video camera, is at the exact moment when you absolutely don't want to. I was told the same. We, yep, yep. we look back at a, at a lot of our photographs, which obviously we've had time to do uh, uh, with not traveling uh, during the COVID time. And we go, what were we thinking? Where's our photographs of, of this country? Where are the good ones? Where, yeah. Where's the video? Oh, we didn't have a video when we started off. We didn't oh. get a video recorder until halfway through South America, and we didn't get a halfway decent one until we were in India. And so yeah. it was like, what were we thinking? What were we doing? But we were thinking in a different way. Totally. Um, and and really just it was going to be for private footage, private photographs, etc. Um <sighs> I'm still pleased that we have that part of it, but there's so many people out there that will never, ever have the opportunity to do what we have done. Totally. Yeah. Um, so to be able to share it, I think is we we have to. It's our duty in some respects mm. to be able to do that, to share it in a positive, positive way. Yeah, yeah, it's still your trip, but yeah, you 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 guys are you've attained such a such a level now. You know, you you are the Porsche Vex. You you are sort of adventure motorcycle travel. You know, around the world. You mentioned Simon and Lisa uh, or Two Ride the World. Everybody knows who you are. Who's in that scene? Everyone knows it's you guys. And, That's um, very kind. Thank you. But but they do, you know. You, like, you 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 have you have a very established brand, a very established names, and a lot of respect for for what what you've done and what you're you you know you continue to do, and yeah, the the fact that you're out there promoting what you do because it is amazing. Adventure travel is is a fantastic thing to do if you can do it. But as you rightly said, not not everybody can do it. You know, there's lots of people in the Western world that will never be able to afford to do it, or will just they'll they just they're just not the type of people that that will actually go and do it for whatever reason but the fact that you can relay what that experience is to to any degree to those people is fantastic you must get messages from people who are i get messages from people who are ill or who are terminally ill and they're like you know i I will i've always wanted to do what what you've done or what you're doing and i'll never ever be able to do it but thank you because i can experience it through the content that you make. And those and messages are pretty amazing. humbling, aren't they? Well, I mean, they bring you to tears at times, don't yeah. they, when people say had, um, Recently, with people not knowing that I've had uh, the issues that you explained mm. and, and others uh, during the trip, and they go, we never knew. And I'm like, well, why would you? Mm. Because I don't 
spread it about. You know, it's my information. It, it wouldn't yeah. have it wouldn't have added to the journey at all. Um, but actually, people now realizing, oh gosh, you know, you already had these issues when you started off in mm. two thousand three. Um, it's making. I've had messages from people saying it makes me realize that I can do mm-hmm. something. Maybe not sixteen and a half years, but you know, I can go off and do a six yeah. month journey. Um, we, I mean, we can We, we. It's inter- It's been a huge change for us for us in the last six months. Uh, we did an interview, um, Adventure Rider Radio, and yeah. we've been we've been on Jim's show a number of times. And Lisa and I genuinely didn't think we'd been any more revealing or candid than the usual nonsense that I we we spout. And yet we had so many people come back um, with, wow, that was really candid. That was really revealing. I've known you guys you know, for 10, 15 years, and I never knew this or that. Um, what we have done for a very long time, and part of it is, is our ages and the generations and how we were brought up. Um, so, sorry, Bruce, how old are you? He's a baby. I know. For, 45. Okay. So... There's a decade between each of us. And what those decades mean is that when Lisa was brought up, if, if something hurt or was painful, again, her family are ex-military, you just button down harder and go on with go it. Go on with it, yeah. Now you fast forward and you've now got a society in, in Europe or in the UK whereby actually opening up about mental health, opening up about mm. challenges um, can actually be for the, for the greater good because if you've got a story and you've got something that you can say, well, look, this is this is the challenges I was facing. This is what I've managed to accomplish. Hopefully, other people that are not in that place yet can go, okay, oh, there's an example. It can be done. Yeah. But that's been a big shift for us because Lisa and I have always been, you know, we've always been the ones to bite our tongues when, you know, people have met us on the road and gone, yeah, it's okay for you two because obviously, you know, you've, you've got silver spoons in your mouth, you've obviously got the money, and you've obviously got your health. Now, the fact that we've got neither – um, there's no point arguing, or it was it was never our job to try and convince them otherwise, because sometimes it's just easy to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Um, but suddenly we're finding that actually by by being a lot more open about the challenges that we faced, both physical and mental, um, not just during the trip, but the stuff that we were dealing with prior to the trip. Um, yeah, I think we've both been genuinely quite gobsmacked with the number of people that have written the most beautiful messages. emails and messages yeah. saying, okay, I'm, I can relate to that. And I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. And I and never yeah. knew. I never knew that yeah. you guys did. Yeah. I just figured, you know, thank you for, thank you for helping me believe that it might be possible. Yeah. There's a way out. There's light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Ultimately. It's a big change for us. It's something again, that's happened when we've, we've had this time period to reflect and to rethink our journey, to rethink our lives. Uh, a change of perspective. Yeah, a big change of perspective. Yeah, I think that's happened to a lot of people during this time period as well. Um, absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. P- people have definitely reevaluated, and um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's, big, there's just so many changes at the moment, isn't there? It's just there seems to be one wave of change after the next. So, and change you know, is change is good. Change is good. But I'm one of those people that I'm I'm very resistant to change, and then and then it's like okay, 
Let's go for it. Let's embrace it and let's go. I don't I don't do change. And then it's like, right, we've got to deal with it. Got let's to have deal it. With it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, right, that, that's been over an hour. Do you guys want a, a bathroom break? Normally it's more coffee. Just keep nattering. Right, cool. Excellent. Good, 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 good. Uh, I tell you what, I'll just move this light down here, if that's all right, because I'm I'm sort of stupidly lit. I need to put that light up there. Give me two ticks. Time for a quick shout out to this week's sponsors, who are Innov. Now, Innov specialise in motorcycle dash cam systems. You'll probably see the vids on uh, my channel. They've got the single camera, the C5. They've got dual camera, which are the K series, the K3 and the K5. K3 is 1080, K5 is 4K front, 1080 rear. Both uh, the K3 and K5 have an external mic, which you can even wire up into your helmet and vlog with if you want. Uh, if you look at my California Superbike School Day vids, the audio, the onboard audio is all via the Innov K5 system. They've also got uh, GPS tracking. They've got an external remote so you can lock footage as you go. They'll do that automatically anyway, should they detect any sudden movement. They've got parking modes on them. So when that's activated, even when your bike is left unattended and switched off, say at a bike calf or park it up in a town or something like that, if the bike moves at all, then it'll automatically kick in and it'll start recording. So hopefully you'll get that car that hits your bike or or anyone that does anything to your bike. As long as they're in front of those cameras, you'll capture them. Great system, folks. Um, invaluable in terms of any accidents for insurance because the first thing your insurance is going to ask is, is there CCTV or witnesses? And if you have one of these in-of systems fitted, then you're covered. Providing you're in the right, you're totally covered. Well worth getting, folks. Head to uh, the link down below. I've got the in-of UK website link down below. So if you're listening to the show notes, check that out. If you're watching the vid, have a look in the description it is a referral link that just lets in of know you've come from me which helps me massively in terms of the sponsorship it shows them they're getting bang for their buck if you use the code teapot t-e-a-p-o-t then you'll get uh, i think it's five percent off any of the in of cameras and if you use the link to the Techologic website they are the one that do like the DC1 and XV1 helmet cameras. If you use the code Teapot, you'll get 5% off them as well. So a huge thank you to Innov for all their support. We are also sponsored by Ultimate Add-ons. Ultimate Add-ons, they specialize in uh, mobile phone and action camera mounting solutions for bikes, for push bikes, that sort of stuff. They provide dustproof, uh, drop-proof, really rugged cases for your phones, as well as a multitude of different mounting solutions for those phone cases and action cameras. Things like GoPros, DJIs, all that sort of stuff, Insta360s. Great bits of kit, folk. folk. The great bits of kit, folks, even when your phone is inside one of these cases, uh, you can still use the phone, you can still use the cameras, obviously, as long as you keep the lens and everything clean. Great things, folks. I have never had any issues with vibration affecting my phone's camera when I use the Ultimate Add-on systems. I use the Helix strap mount. It's basically like a ratchet strap, really easy to fit. I can fit it to almost any bike I've ever taken out for a review. Great bits of kit. If you head to ultimateaddons.com and if you use the code TPOT110, so TPOT1 with the number 10 at the end, then you will get 10% off their range.
Massive thanks to Ultimate Adults. Yeah, I had no idea, Lisa, that you that you you had all these issues prior to the trip. I I just I'd assumed they'd just sort of come on when you were when you were traveling. No, it was all before. Um it was sorry, cattle's a bit noisy. Um it was uh, Yeah, before we left, Simon just reminded me in two thousand and two um they wanted to fit a pacemaker. Oh, wow. Um and I went, no way, because the pacemakers in those days. Um, now they're absolutely amazing items. They're, they're incredible. But in those days, it would have set your heart rate at a particular level. And then you wouldn't have been able to increase your heart level, decrease it at a set level. Well, I knew that in riding a motorcycle off road, um, you, you kind of need your, your heart rate goes up and yeah. your requirement of oxygen levels would go up. And if I couldn't change that, then I would have some serious issues. As it was, I had issues anyway, but, um, it, yeah, there were many, many times, especially during the heat and strenuous activities, um, that that just would not have worked. So we tried to do it via medication. And it invariably, I would say maybe about 70% of the time medication would help, would mm-hmm. work. But it's um, as you become older, so I understand your medication can change. Mm-hmm. Um, how how your body reacts to that right. medication can change. Um, and I would speak to my sister, who's luckily a doctor, and she would say, yes, this can happen. Um, now you need to be reevaluated. You should be having your kidneys checked and this checked and that checked. And, of course, we're in the middle of nowhere, and I wasn't getting any of it done. Mm. Um, and it was gradually getting worse. But you accept it, too. Mm. You, you don't know you're as bad as you are because every day you get maybe a little worse yeah. and a little worse. Yeah. And you said, I was putting it down to age. Well, mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, I was in mid fifties and knocking on a bit and, and you're, Oh, maybe Don't this is what happens. Maybe, yeah. maybe this is how you feel when you get old. Well, I've always been fit and healthy and I was, you know, a lot of, a lot of weight being put on, uh, uh, less aerobically fit, um, and the medication just wasn't working at all. Now I look back at some of the photographs of eight years ago and even three years ago, mm-hmm. and I go, oh, my God, I turned into a little fat Buddha. Um, and that was medication. I'm now back to how I was when we first started off. And I hadn't actually realized gradual drip, drip, drip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're healthier today than when you first started off. Okay. Sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Like after after I got diagnosed with with AF, I remember thinking about in one of my roles within the police. I, I worked in a public order division for a, uh, for about five or six years, and we, we used to get two hours fizz every single day. And mm-hmm. I remember being on like some of the machines, like say on a stepper or something as a warm up. And I remember watching my heart rate, and my heart rate would go from like one ten to two hundred odd. It would just, it would jump. And I used to think, oh, this machine must be faulty. You know, it's, and I, I look back now and think, God, did I have it then? But yeah. I didn't, I didn't really notice. I just, I hated running. I could do the circuits and things like that, but running, I just hated. I couldn't, I just I'm felt. Not running, I'm too tall. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too heavy. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Too heavy, he said, eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, why not live your life and all that? It is, but it is interesting for me. I, I do wonder, I wonder if I'd always had it. Because I've always felt tired, but just assumed 
you know, I, I worked nights before I worked in a building site before I went to uni, and then all through uni I worked as a bouncer in Glasgow, so it was all nights. And then, <clears throat> and then I became a dad while I was at uni, so you got a newborn there, so I was just tired. And then from that going into the police, it's shift work, so you just always knackered aren't you and i i wonder if maybe a lot of that fatigue was put it down to yeah these yeah. things are going on and we end up mentally legitimate legitimizing or validating oh it's because of this oh yeah. it's because of that whereas in actual fact no it's just that mechanically we're not where we need to be i got to say, though, now now that apparently I'm okay, I still feel knackered. I'm still permanently tired. <laughs> but anyway, right. Shall we get back to it? <laughs> yeah, right. right, folks, welcome back. We've replenished with coffee and uh, chalky biscuits, and we're all digestive, set to go. Yes. Right, there's so much we could talk about from, from... We've not even really discussed the actual route and countries and things, but I'm sure that will come out next come on, when we move on to questions. So... Thank you very much to everybody who's left questions. First off, we'll head across to the clan on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash teapot1. First one, Charlie Callard. Evening all, well, morning. Hope you're all well. Congrats on the 100th episode. Cheers, Charlie. Thanks very much, pal. So a couple of questions for you all. What country or culture took you most by surprise, good or bad? Good question. That's a good question. Mm. Um, Most by surprise. Um. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'll, I'll kick it off. We make a real point of going into countries with as few expectations as possible because experience mm-hmm. shows that expectations are there to disappoint you. Um, Russia, I remember going into Russia for the first time because we've now been in there, Russia, I think four times. We've pretty oh, wow. much gone all the way across. But we entered at the beginning of the journey um, in the most northwest border of Russia. So we ended up going into Murmansk. Now, back in 2003, nobody was going to Murmansk. It's it's still the home of the Russian naval fleet. And then we came down the Kona Peninsula, we got to Moscow, and Russia was one of those countries, certainly West Russia, that all of the expectations that we had, having grown up with, you know, films, action films, where Russians were the bad guys and the mafia were everywhere and speeding cars through Red Square and all that. <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Moscow especially was was the it was the was the place, the location that so closely matched the expectations that we tried to push aside going in. Yeah. Um, and I mean this in a very positive way. Um, Everything from that sense of I, I always imagine growing up that West Russia or Russia generally was kind of a kind of a stern place, and that was exactly what we got. Now there's a there's actually some very valid reasons, but silly little things like you know be laughing and joking with some new Russian friends. You've been invited to a bike meet. Life in Russia back then, the first time, was still very very challenging, very difficult. Mm-hmm. The minute you get a camera out, everyone yeah. just looks like they're going to a funeral because cameras on non-smiling events. Um, Red Square, the history. Um, Russia was exactly what I hoped it was going to be. That one evening, uh, via a, con- a new connection we'd made, we went out with this guy. I'm not sure I should even say this. I'm, probably, I'm sure I'm okay. Um, basically, he was very connected to organised crime. Um, he still emails us. We still say hello. Um, Maybe you shouldn't say so much. Didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't dawn us what was going on, but went to these very nice restaurants and very nice bars. And um, 
never got charged, always got pushed to the front of the queue. And yeah, I said, to him, yeah. so what's the deal with these seven series BMWs speeding through Moscow? You know, they seem to have, you know, they can do what they want. These are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you need anyway, to know. Actually, I'm not going to say anything else about that. Um, but no, <laughs> but, and, and other countries um, where... I would say it was... Um, um, Mongolia for me. Oh, I'm so jealous. I, I never got there. Love Mongolia. But, but the question was, is it it's, no. it's what you expected? No, it's not what I expected. That's why I'm saying it. I'm answering the question. Go on, then. Um, <laughs> In what way was it different? Well, I didn't actually think the people were going to be as welcoming. I thought that they were going to be um, very, very reticent about coming forward, a bit closed off, a bit, what are these people coming mm. in? We're, we're, we're nomads, we're, we're true nomads, we're uh, workers of the land, and these people are coming in. I thought that they would be a little standoffish uh, and not actually want to come along and say hi and just smile at us. Um, they, I found them very welcoming. Um, right. I found, I was surprised the level of warmth is, is yeah. incredible. And yeah. the hospitability, hospiti, no, no, hospitality, <laughs> incredible, but that traditionally is the nomad way. So in many nomadic cultures, um, the idea of personal possessions are, is, a little, is a little foreign, not in the same way of commun communism, but in nomadic cultures, um, they, they pool resources. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, Lisa would have guys just jumping onto her bike and smiling, not because they were taking a liberty um, or being disrespectful. I mean, they'd equally hand her the horse and say, I'm going to go for riding your bike or sit on it, yeah. go sit on my horse. It's yeah. just that shared sense of, but that level of just fascination warmth. and warmth was just beguiling. That's a I great one. We've been on the road by that time for quite a while, and so we should have been used to it, and we've been through some areas of sparse population. Um, but it was just the vastness, and it's a stunningly beautiful country. Um, it's also one of the least inhabited on the planet. Hard. And yet they're mm. still smiling and welcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was a revelation. I'd done the reading. I, I thought I knew what to expect there. And, and it was it was heavy going. We had six weeks there. We managed to extend our visa. I, I could have been there six months and you still wouldn't experience it all. Um, and it was a rev revelation to me. It was a real eye opener. We'd not become travel weary at that time, but... It was hard going, going back into Russia, going through all of the stands, trying to get over the silk road at a certain time with not getting caught in the snow. Um, mm. And it was we were, going. we were physically and mentally frazzled by the time yeah. we'd actually so yeah, got to Mongolia. six weeks there, uh, even though the riding was hard, it was constant, um, thinking about it all the time. Um, it was so lovely. I really enjoyed it. And it was a and, pleasure. And probably lastly, um, uh, Iran. Um, I didn't say that. I'm not sure. Um, well, it, was, it, it, it was for me, um, in as much as that a lot of the stuff you see on the news about the Iranian government, um, we had first-hand experience of, of the level of control. That was definitely true. We ended up giving a lecture. We were invited to give a lecture at the Tehran University. So incredibly honoured to have the opportunity. Wow. Um, went along, um, 
and spent the night with an English professor, actually with a friend of ours, and an English professor invited himself along. Um, We were staying with one of his students, and he basically, for two hours, was very, very clear and very stern. You can say this, you cannot say this. Um, We know that the Iranian um, secret police were monitoring this very carefully. During that time. We found that out afterwards. Um, but also but the Iranian people, and again, I'm going to reference Lois Price here. Um, if you get a chance to read her book about going through Iran, it's a great read. Yeah. But again, she expresses what I'm going to now. The Iranian people, so friendly, so welcoming, so hospitable, and genuinely um, a delight to speak to because mm. they have as much interest in finding out about the West and the UK. And yeah. in the, the exchanges were always rewarding for want of a better term in both directions and again we we quickly found out that a lot of the a lot of the media exposure and a lot of the a lot of the information being being shared about um well they do this and they do that actually just just isn't true it just it's the same on both sides though isn't it because we get told the untruth about them and they get they get told the untruths about us I had a lot of um, young girls when they had the opportunity coming up and, and speaking to me or trying to speak and asking questions, etc. Um, and they would always giggle a little bit and come on up and they would go, is he your husband? And I would go, yes. And they go, that is because he's so tall and, and blonde at the time, not grey like he is now. And, <laughs> distinguished. Uh, <laughs> distinguished. And, Dude, extinguished. And they would always be giggling about that. Just typical young teenage girls. Yeah. Um, um, brought up in a, in a in a different environment. There's no good, mm. bad, or wrong. It's just different. Um, I it wasn't unexpected, really, for me. Maybe it was more so for you because of how I was I think, seen. Yeah, that was culturally one of the biggest one of the biggest um, adjustments I had to make is that um, I'm in love with Lisa because of her exuberance, her confidence. Um, no, all the good things all the time. Um, and yet suddenly in Iran, you know, uh, she's wearing the burqa. She's, yeah, she's much more her. reserved. Um, yeah. um, I'd have to be more reserved. She, she socially yeah. had to take a, a, a stand back mm-hmm. because culturally that was that was appropriate. And again, we've had a few conversations with friends go, oh, well, I couldn't go into Iran and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And as I explained, we are choosing to be a guest in their country. Uh-huh. So it's not a case of whether you agree or disagree with their ideology and their social system. Um, I'm happy to be uncomfortable. I'm happy to quietly disagree with certain things because I want that first-hand experience. Yeah. I want to make sure that if I have an opinion, if we have an opinion about something, it's because we have first-hand experience of that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's yeah. the most valuable way to, to pick up information. Um, so I had to adjust to Lisa taking a backward stance. I had to adjust to. I find I find it very interesting, and I find it very frustrating initially that um, the guys would speak to me about Lisa, who stood two feet away, um, and I found it very difficult, and I found mm. it disrespectful initially because she's right there. You can ask yeah. her. Now, ask her yourself. We, yeah. We, but we come we come from. Um, we come from a culture where that would be disrespectful, but because they'd identified me as her husband, not talking to her and going through me initially was out of respect. Yes, yes. it's a complete. It, but it's so. One of the lessons we've learned traveling is that don't judge things on appearance, and ultimately, 
It's just a matter of shifting your perspective, but a small shift can help you see something in a very, very different light. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you see it with anyone else? It was a surprise. Trying to think about it. What didn't expect? On on the whole, we've we've spent the last twenty years with our hands on the throttles, grinning the whole time, <laughs> just because we're we're just generally overwhelmed by what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, what we're learning about each other, what we're learning about ourselves. Mm. It's been a steep learning curve for 20 years, uh, almost 20 years. Um, Have you ever experienced where people didn't want to come up and talk or were angry at us? Have we ever experienced that? Not on a not on a consistent enough basis where you can say it's indicative right. of, of a region or a country. I mean, mm. some people are just angry. Um, some people are, you know, you get smart people, dumb people, angry people, nice people. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that's yeah. just a, that's just the way the world I think turns. people think that there's going to be a level of aggression leveled at us um, in certain areas, but there wasn't. You'll that's you'll know this, Bruce. The best conversation starter in the world, bar none, when you're travelling, is a motorcycle. Mm. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the number of interactions and conversations. Um, we 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 on our on our on our email friend database. We've got we've got people that have been working in their field, in the fields the entire life. We've got captains of industry and presidents of countries. Um, all those conversations started off nine times out of 10 because we rolled up looking tired, dirty, yeah, on, a bike. Two, on two motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I found, I found doing it on the bike I did it on as well, even heightened that because people, I would get people coming up, you know, and, and in, Pigeon English, or somehow they would always go. You know, you're you're not on the GS. Everyone's always on the big, the big adventure bike. I'm like this, and this it was a real, thing. yeah, it was like a real conversation starter. People yeah. would just, they would love it. Everyone knows Valentino Rossi. Everybody around the world. I remember being up on a Ho Chi Minh trail, like up in Laos, up in the mountains, not even on a road. And the kids would be like, Ah, Rossi, Rossi, Valentino Rossi. You know, they all know Rossi. So the sports bike was just like, wow. They'll never ever see one of them. In person yeah. and it's like wow there that's, pretty, it is. that's pretty cool oh i loved it yeah yeah i remember being in dilly and this this big like you know big muscly geezer came over and he was just like oh you know can i can i sit on on the bike i, I i've never ever seen one i only see it on the tv i was like yeah go on so he sits on the bike i've got a picture of him in front of a dilly sign it's just made up totally made up <laughs> um it was interesting you said that about russia because russia for me i think is probably that still to this day was the biggest surprise for me in that I totally agree with you. Moscow is everything that, that you think it's the James Bond Russia, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like it's it's a real modern city and, and I mm -hmm. found people very welcoming and very warm there. You know, it's almost European in their attitude towards things. But the second they mentioned politics or anyone <laughs> brought politics up, this is going back, this was in 2000 and. 13, 2012, 2013. Okay. So, you know, it's it's fairly fairly progressive by that point, isn't it? But even yep. then they were like, you know, they went into whispers when they started talking about like Putin and, and the government mm -hmm. and things. And you were like, oh, wow, this is different. And yeah. I had that experience where yep. a guy got in touch with me through a sort of mutual friend. And he was like, when you get to Moscow, you've got to come in, you know, you've got to, we've got to meet, we'll go for a drink. So I did that and ended up living with him for 10 days. You know, he was just like, 
Stay pretty, here. Pretty gentle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going there. Yeah, he's a lovely fella. But the same thing, very connected. No idea how. I found myself at a cigar aficionado uh, evening drinking, mm-hmm. I think it was 25 or, or 30 year old um, Dalmore whiskey. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. in, you know, this is serious whiskey with proper big Cuban cigars. And I'm surrounded by all these, like, obviously wealthy Russian geezers and suits. Room, probably. Totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm in flip flops shirt and a <laughs> shitty t shirt, you know. And uh, I didn't ask questions, but you know, they were they were lovely geezers, really, really welcoming, really warm. And I found the further east I went in Russia, right across to like Vladivostok. Mm-hmm. Like Vladivostok was just like it's like the Vegas of Russia. It was well wild west. It was a party town. You know, everyone was to me in Vladivostok, maybe it's just because I was euphoric for crossing Russia, but by the time I got there, all people wanted to do was party. They were just they were just like the locals. They were just getting on it and having a great time. Really warm. We were there during a, a festive period. Maybe it was always a festive period. I don't know. And there were lots of sailors around. Some of the big ships had come in. And yeah. said, um, they're walking around and they all look like Popeye. Yeah. I kept saying that. He said they're yeah. not puppies. Now you can't take one home, put him down. <laughs> and they're big muscles and they're yeah. shirts and sailor shirts. Cartoon Russian, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just amazing. I was walking around going. Well, compared to Central Russia, the road of bones and all that stuff, which is basically yeah. just marsh mosquitoes that will eat you alive. Oh God, yeah, mm. you must have crossed. You must uh-huh. have crossed the Zeelong Gap. Did you do the Zeelong Gap then? I, all I remember, what I remember about Russia was just thinking this would be so much easier if we were doing it in the winter because everything wouldn't smell like shit because it would just <laughs> freeze. And and the fact that we could not find any water anywhere, but they were more than happy to sell these giant cans of beer with a big blue stripe on that got you drunk yeah. within two sips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, mos- and mosquitoes. Oh, that, so we used to put the te- we used to basically get off the bikes. And oddly enough, I wasn't expecting it to be that humid because obviously it's just, it's just marsh all around you. It's, it, there's no tundra. It's, it's, it's not frozen anymore. And we would rush to put the tent up to get the stuff off our bikes. Gloves on, balaclavas on, helmets Yeah, I did on. that. Yeah, full because, kit. Yeah. Because of the mosquitoes. I had all these romantic ideas about about traveling on my trip where I'd, I'd have the tent up and I'd have a fire out there and I'd be sat eating my stew or whatever it was, looking at the beautiful sky. Russia, not a chance. I mean, no. the mosquitoes are like, a, they're like, they must be Chernobyl affected. They're like an yeah. inch. Yeah. They're huge, aren't they? You They'd roll up the mosquitoes literally think meals on wheels. Yeah, and they can fly at 30-odd miles an hour. <laughs> we would dash into the tent and with the helmets on, boots still on, crawl on in there, <laughs> and then we, we spend the next 15 minutes or so bashing each other, trying to get rid of oh, the yeah. mosquitoes that come in. The safe word, still pineapple. <laughs> Notice I said bashing each other and right. didn't use another we're, we're men. That means all sorts <laughs> to us. <laughs> Beat yourself. I'm not a man. And, uh, yeah, we've got some got some stories to tell about that. But sometimes we just didn't want to cook, couldn't cook. And so we'd take these big cans of beer into the tent and we'll have some kind of pasty kind of thing that we'd picked up along the road. Or salted vegetables. Processed, <laughs> yes. processed sausage. Yeah, and we'd yeah. sit in the tent with these massive mosquitoes 
bashing in. Yeah. And the tent's pretty good, so they didn't actually get inside and listen and to we the house. Were so and we're just tired. drinking yeah. beer. And then I'm like, oh my God, I want to go to the loo. <laughs> Can I, can I tell a story? Please do. <laughs> Make sure you're not eating when you listen or watch this, people. You can. So, this is the wonders of travel. So yeah. I used to do this in presentations because I thought it was funny. I, let's face it. I give presentations that I want to laugh at. And then Lisa said, no, stop doing it. Hence me just genuinely saying so. <laughs> lessons, lessons learned about traveling with your significant other on the road. Um <laughs> There's there's the chival there's the chivalry that I bear yeah, yeah, yeah. really deeply. How bad uh, is my life going to be after you said that? <laughs> so so we're in the middle of Russia. We are genuinely exhausted. We're hot. Uh, we're not feeling too good. And you're caught between that. Okay, I need to hydrate. And all we've got is beer. Now beer obviously has alcohol. It's a diuretic. And so we're like, okay, well, don't drink too much because God forbid the last thing you want to do. Once the mosquitoes have, have oh, because they're now yeah. in the front awning of the tent. I mean, literally yeah. hundreds of thousands of mozzies in the front of the tent. So I'm fast asleep. I'm gone. And I get this nudge for the bony elbow. They're lovely for the bony. <laughs> What's up? Do you love me? <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you love me? Yeah, what's wrong? <laughs> I need, I need to go outside. So I said, good luck with that. No. Will you come with me? No. Are you kidding? What? With, with the flying piranhas? No. Oh, God. If you loved me, you would. I said, look, I do love you. Just not enough. So 15 minutes later. I really need to go 15 minutes later, oh, you're absolutely busting. And I am so angry and I'm so wound up and I'm so tired and I'm so stupid that as a show of as a show of defiance, I've gone out naked only wearing motocross boots. Because <laughs> that'll teach her. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa goes to have a wee. She's got she's got clothes on. I'm having things bitten that shouldn't be bitten. In the meantime, oh I'm on my God. haunches. And as she has a wee, I'm I'm keeping I'm keeping the thing, I'm keeping the mozzies away from the bitch. No. That, you know, <laughs> so her, can you can you modify your aim? <laughs> oh, they're getting through, they're getting through. I said, well, I'm outnumbered 50 billion to one. I think I'm doing quite well. <laughs> Those are the moments in your relationship that really leave a mark. Literally. Wow. The fact you two are still together after like 19 it's years of minor, that. It's a minor miracle. Now, I may or may not have milked this for a really long time, <laughs> as I'm clearly still doing. But, oh, my God. I tried to concoct after that. I tried to concoct a little, because um, there's no she-weeds or anything like that around. No. And so I'm trying to concoct a way to, to wee and not get out of the tent. It's easy for you guys. You yeah, know. it's not. Yeah. Is you get little tiny coke. No, no, the bottles are never big enough. I tend to find as Bruce will tell you. Obviously. Okay, so maybe I carry a bottle with me and I filter the one in and I cut one off and it's like a funnel and things like that. And it always looks good, but then you end up peeing all over the inside. All over your tent. Anyway, so moving on from mosquitoes and Russia. I think we've answered that question. Let's choose another one. That conversation took a slight turn. 
Yeah. <laughs> you said anything goes. You said don't Absolutely. hold back. These are the realities, though, aren't they? That's the reality of Overland Travel. It's stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, Charlie's got a second part to a question. This is a quickie. Which is best, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Coke. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Coke. I'm a Coke man, too. Right, yeah, cheers, Mark. Charlie. Thanks for that. Next one, Two Bob Rocket. I'm, I'm sort of speeding it up because there's loads yeah. of questions. Uh, two Bob Rocket. Wow, 19 years on the road. Now, that is lives well lived. As the years go by, does it become more difficult, not just physically as you get older, but geopolitical changes around the world? Uh, and he also says, when it, has come, when it has come to an end, the wheels stop turning, where in the world would you both like it to be? We kind of covered that first part, really, didn't we, in that initial conversation? Yeah. It's so, interesting. Um, this is a, a, short, a short answer. Ge- short. Geopolitically, to my surprise, I think I'll have a, I'll be challenged to say it's getting more difficult because each time we go to a new country, it's our first time, so we have nothing to compare against. Mm. I tend to find that because we're tra- because we're travelling overland, I actually think it's easier, less bureaucratic than travelling and crossing borders by land or sea, where you have a lot more paperwork, a lot more security, a lot more formality. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, we're choosing small borders in both large and small countries. Yeah. And once the simple formalities are sorted out, uh, maybe maybe a search, maybe a search of the bikes. But that's all stuff you just expect. Mm. Most of these guys at the borders are in old uniforms, filling in massive manuals. There's not a lot of formality. I wouldn't say it's getting more or less complicated than before. Um, ever. Yes. We've not been on the road <laughs> since COVID. Yeah. So, I get asked this a lot, yeah. Yeah, we haven't experienced that change yet. I imagine there will be there'll be a few extra steps to cover at land borders. Um, I would imagine there may be, who knows, a little bit of extra time required, and by mm. little bit, you know, we've been at a border for three days. Yeah, um, but I don't, I don't imagine it's going to increase to a level that makes you think that's it. I, it's, it's not worth. It. I'm going home. See, I've I expected. I was slightly worried uh, with Brexit coming, not to get political, but with Brexit happening, I was thinking, oh God, you know, taking my bike across into Europe, that is this going to be a nightmare now? What's it going to be like? And then COVID hit as well, and you're like, oh yeah. my god! And I travelled a few times during COVID, both overland into Europe and also flying in and doing fly ride things and stuff. And um, yeah, well, there was a little bit more paperwork, but it was it was fine. That and was then doable. since. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then since COVID has now left us allegedly, uh, I've I've travelled quite extensively across through in Europe, over into Eastern Europe on the bike. And once you've once you've got off the train or the ferry into Calais, into France, and there's yeah. that physical land border. After that, uh, the next time I had to show a passport was literally crossing into Romania. You know, it was. Yeah. It, that was the next time, literally. I think maybe Hungary. I'm, I maybe I had to show it to get into Hungary, but that was it. And it was nice and quick. You know, it was, there's no dramas. There's, mm. there's no issues. Uh, overland travel, once you get into, I don't know, proper true overland, is it going to be any different to what it already was? Probably not. What else are you going to have to show? Mm. What, exactly. What else are you going to have to show? I mean, you've got countries like Australia where you have to have certificates for... Mm-hmm. Well, we had to have a certificate for yellow fever yellow anyway fever. Yeah. and yeah. show it. There was, there was another one. Uh, we had to get especially for Australia. I mean, yeah, e- okay. Each country then generally has fewer or 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 a greater number of checks they need. But yeah. each country is different, so it's very difficult to say whether it's going to get more or less complicated. Ultimately, 
I think I think it will change, but I, I don't I don't think today we've seen a mar- I don't think we can look back and give you a straight answer. To, oh yes, it's much more complicated. As long as, as you do, so. uh, as long as I do my job and I do the research, yeah. and you've got your list of documentation. It's just to maybe add on a couple more things. Um, mm. But as long as you check what is needed, um, they should be all right. Yeah. For anyone thinking about traveling, yeah, I mean, don't don't be put off by. The potential of an increased level of bureaucracy just go, just go for it i like the second part of that question the second element there about when it when, comes to an end yeah because yeah. this come to an unexpected pause yeah that's what i'm calling it the pandemic pause um <laughs> sounds like an album title yeah, I know. <laughs> um, um and we ended up in wales mm-hmm uh, that's not something that I ever ever thought would happen, um, or returning to the UK even. Um, I would say we're incredibly lucky. It's a stunning country. We we li- mm. we've literally found a small wooden cabin on the side of a mountain inside Snowdonia National Park. It's about the size oh, wow. of most people's garages. Genuinely, but we've been in a tent for nine, oh, 17 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be like a palace. Um, and then COVID gave me a chance to basically start doing up and clearing all the bracken and the brambles and all the other bits and pieces. Um, would but, you have chosen it? So somebody actually said we can go anywhere. Where would you go? Um, jokes aside, we were thinking about beginning to look for some kind of base because the intention was never to travel full time for this amount mm. of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of areas that caught our attention where we thought, wow, you know, great infrastructure and the, and the cost of living to quality of life ratio. At that point, when we were thinking about, um, about that. Northern yeah. Colombia. All uh, right, yeah. Pretty spectacular. And the Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the reason we like that area is because we love Mexico. I, I love Mexico. Mexico. I do. Mexico. I do. What an amazing place. Oh, it's just lovely quite people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the language. I love the food. I just, everything. <clears throat> uh, you can go into the mountains easily. Mm. You can cross into uh, Central America. I love Guatemala. Chicago, uh, Belize, Central yeah. America. Yeah. Great, yeah. great infrastructure. Good medical care. You can get to see a dentist. You can have your entire mouth sorted out for 35 quid. Oh, not quite yeah. Yeah. Um, but then also you can get up into the States and then go into Canada. I mean, mm-hmm. that's spectacular. Mexico as a whole has got great infrastructure, yeah. airports. Um, and jokes aside, Lisa and I like that slightly lawless feel. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big changes that we both had to, to deal with coming back to the UK was just the, the quantity and the severity of rules and regulations to yeah. absolutely everything and the level of um, political correctness, which I think is totally and utterly unchecked. We, we actually absolutely. find it quite difficult. We're quite um, verbal, as you mm-hmm. probably guessed. And some of the things we come out with, I know, uh, are probably not taken in the vein that they're uh, meant. Um, and our sense of humour is probably a little off to twist, the side. Twist, twisted and dark. Um, <laughs> Normal, I would say. Normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't had to watch what we say because we've we've been travelling through so many different countries. Um, a lot of people don't understand what we're saying anyway. So... Uh, that's interesting, though, because you you did sort of come back to the UK at that time when political correctness was just going crazy. It was just going mad, you know. Yeah. And 
are, are we? I think I think there's starting to be a little bit of a bite back and a fight back almost. Mm-hmm. Not so much in this country. In America, believe it or not, from the people I know over there, it, they seem to be going. Hang on, enough is enough here. Do you know what I mean? If there's mm-hmm. a fence meant, then all obviously yes, that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Or certainly. Maybe it's not that it's unacceptable. You know, everyone's going to be offended by everything, aren't they? But somebody's always going to be offended if they, if they, by they something that you say. Offense is often taken, not given. Absolutely, and and I've I've chatted about this on the podcast before, like putting your life on social media the way the way I do and, and you guys do to an extent as well. Like you, you do get bad comments sometimes, don't you? You you get trolls, but I've also I've also taken comments the wrong way. You know, people have said something in a comment and maybe I'm just in a bad mood that day and I read it and I'm like, you cheeky mother. You know, and you're like, have that. And then they reply going, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That's that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. And then once you're in a better frame of mind and you read the comment, you're like, oh, shit, yeah, I can see that. I took that the wrong way, you know. But going so back to the conversation at the beginning, that's one of the biggest problems with text messages and with messages. As the reader, you infer the tone. Yes, Yes. Because there is there is no tone, and that inferred tone uh, is often based on the mood you're in at the time. Yeah. Especially, especially bearing in mind when we write messages, we're not grammatically correct with our commas and our full stops, which yeah. are which are often there <laughs> to indicate a tone or a, or a, or a speed of information. Some of the messages I get because they're all abbreviations. I have to say to Simon, yeah. "What? What is yeah, this?" Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is how naive and stupid I am. I had some really cool, really, oh. really chunky ex ex special forces American friends messaging me years ago. You're talking a few years back, yeah. And I kept looking, going, "God, these guys are so hardcore. I mean, these are trained killers. Why does he keep saying lots of love?" <laughs> well, lol. He's oh, that's so sweet. In, he's so in touch with his feminist side. That is so cool. And then he told me that's that, that totally wrong. He should never have told me that. It was like going to Germany at the beginning of the trip. I could. I said to Lisa, "Look, I need, well, to, I need to go to the toilet." Talking about this, I need to go to the toilet. I need to stop at a tank. The next time we go past, look, what a what a stop. And we went past this tank. Had we're on the highway, and it was called Alschwart. Said, yeah. oh. so we went this place is popular. And I, and I, looked, I looked in the map and I couldn't find it because I'm crap at maps now. I like GPS. You know, maps. <laughs> then I went past the second sign, then past the third sign. It's got to be a pretty good size. I mean, we've got three yeah, yeah, turnings yeah. It's, so it's all over the place. pissy with me because no, we're not stopping. Look, I just want to go in and go to the toilet. I didn't know that Auschwitz was German for exit. <laughs> exit, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I, I felt I felt foul of that first time I was there. I was like, "Fucking oh, hell, this place must be massive <laughs> everywhere." <go." laughs> yes, yeah, and I, I'm not, and I really is that what you thought? Really? Oh my god! And you're German's not my language. Jenny brings me on her trip because I pick up heavy things. Come on, what's the next question, Bruce? So going back, we are very, very happy and surprised that <clears> we're in Wales, but it's. Yeah. Stunningly beautiful, and where we mm. are, we couldn't have chosen a better area for our our mental health and our physical yeah. needs, etc. So, Wales and the area. I mean, we're inside Snowdonia. We're overlooking the Dovey Biosphere. We're in a protected dark sky spot. We we genuinely jumped up a building and landed in landed in a big pile of feathers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's spectacular. I, I totally get what you're saying about coming back to the UK and sort of being somewhat overwhelmed by the bureaucracy and the rules and regs. But I came, I found myself coming back to the UK and going, 
oh god it's good to be home like as in I took for granted what we what we have here. A lot of yeah. things really used to piss me off about, and still do, about the UK politics. Um, just so many people, um, all sorts of stuff. Just loads of things about the UK used to hack me off. And then I came back, and it was just like we're so lucky to have mm-hmm. what yeah. we've got here. If we're ill, you just go to the hospital. You know, you're not paying anything. Yeah. It's there for and you. You might be and- waiting for hours upon hours. Yeah. But that's still better than not having anything, anything. at all when you're totally. excruciating pain and you're scared. Yeah, stepping over someone who's dying or dead yeah. in the gutter, which you do yeah. see, sadly, in other places. Yeah. We have um, how lucky, <clears throat> how lucky the UK is and, and mm. Europe in, in a whole. And yeah, also, absolutely. what caught me off guard um, is I would, I, before leaving, I think I was, yeah, and I know I was incredibly arrogant and very lapsed days ago about being British. I certainly mm. wouldn't say, I certainly wouldn't have said that I was proud to be British. Mm. Now I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly proud to identify yeah. myself as a Brit because as a, as a country, as a nation, as a people, um, yeah, we, we make an awful lot of mistakes. Um, but good Lord, we are so lucky to, to have been born here, to have been educated here, Absolutely. to have the opportunities that we have purely because of the fact that we're British um, uh, and traveling. And when you travel. Yeah, and you're flying the flag as well when you travel, aren't you? Like you, as Probably. much as as much as when you meet people in a new country and you think, God, you're not what I expected. I hope, I hope you do vice versa, you know, for them yeah. when they, when they meet somebody from the UK and they're like, Oh God, they're, they're really decent people, you know, and, and that hopefully reflects on their yeah. opinion of, of, of the UK. Yeah. Right. Anyway, good question. That cheers for that too, Bob. Uh, Biker Espana. Hi to you all. Here's a couple of questions for everyone. Question one, is there a place that you would like to visit in a different era, such as Egypt in the 1920s? Oh, that's a goodie. Ooh. That is a goodie. Egypt back in the day when they were built. I would love to go back to those times and just go, like, how? How did you do it? And and why? You know, that's what I would like to know. I That's actually a, a place that I would love to go to. We've not yet managed to get there. Um, and, yes, going back in, in, in that time period, I wouldn't want to be in a crinoline dress and in the heat and everything. Um, but, um, Me neither. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't. Um, but no, in my life, I'd be, I'd be a slave. Um, I'd, you know, bloody Cleopatra. Yes, that was an era, era, and an era that I would like to go back to. Nineteen um, twenties in Egypt. Yeah. Um, where else? Oh, I would like to I'm go. Sure yeah. Oh, I. Oh, no, I'm going to say something totally politically. No, I can't. Oh, excellent. Go on. Do tell. Let's hear. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me, tell me first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I go for it. It's not that bad. <laughs> My standards. Well, we were in Australia. We had a few... Um, 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 Issues. Anti-English sentiment that was expressed. When they go, I can't do the the Aussie accent, but they go, you're bleeding palms. And Mm. I would actually go, actually, actually. Oh, she does sound incredibly English when she does this. (laughs) Actually, we're not the pommy. You are. 
me be like, what do you mean? Back off, back off, laugh. And I said, no, do you know? Obviously, you don't what Pommy means. Prisoner of Mother England. Oh, right. Yes, of course. So I said, you are Pommy and I am not. So, um, you convict. <laughs> Let me get it straight. You were umming and ahhing about this story because you want to go back to, to Australia during the colonial days so you can be a colonial bitch. <laughs> Maybe. Do you know, at the beginning of this interview, I didn't know how it was going to work because we, we do a few interviews where we're much more serious and much more highbrow and right malarkey. And what do you said, want to do them for? We're going to drink coffee and talk shit. <laughs> just yeah, pretty much. The, just that is the Brewtime podcast. Six o'clock and we're on the gym. We were still yeah. so sober, God's sake. <laughs> right, what else have you got for us? Right, um, question two. Is there a place you would like to visit but cannot because of red tape, war or politics, etc.? Enjoy your travels. Did we did we chat about that earlier? I'm not no. sure if we have. Kind of touched <clears throat> it on, on a little bit. Um, I'd like to get into Nigeria, which we had to bypass mm. at the time because ah, of federal right. elections and the border mm-hmm. that we were heading to. Um, 329 There's people some- were massacred by Machete in a riot. So we went, yeah, let's not go there. If you take away the, 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 the people conflict and you just look at the country because of its beauty and its landscape, mm-hmm. um, because going into a country that is is is, is suffering through war, I mean, it, it, it's, it's terrible on all sides. But if you just take all of that away and you look at the country and how beautiful it is, that would have to be Afghanistan. Mm. Um, yeah. it, it was spectacular. Going all the way around it. Um, well, we, we did. We did go into Afghanistan went in once by mistake. Yeah, we went actually went into Afghanistan a couple of times, but that um, was because we were having to negotiate the Panj River. Right. So when we went, and there were rock slides and things, so we would go down and 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 anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, And one time we camped and we sent a uh, where we were a spot message, and uh, our friend came back to us and said, "Why, why are you in Afghanistan? Why were not?" <laughs> this, is, this is when we actually got internet connectivity. He said, why yeah. did you come to Afghanistan? You said that you weren't able to. We said, we didn't. He said, no, you did. And he sent us a spot and we're like, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> Absolutely I would, spectacular. I would love I've, to I've because of that. So, uh, so go on, go on. I was going to say China. Um, oh, yes. I've, always, mm. I've always been on our wish list, but it's just been prohibitively expensive is, yeah. um, because of the rules and regulations. But the the last big item on the man that would just make the trip extra special for us is getting to Antarctica. Antarctica. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had Steph, Steph Jevons on here and obviously she, she managed to, to, to wing it um, legally or illegally, but she, she managed to get there. How, how would you guys, how would you guys facilitate that then? Have you got any plans how to get there? Well, we had got it arranged at the beginning of the journey. Uh, um, we had a chance meeting with an air commodore of the Uruguayan Air Force who just thought that was crazy enough to, to help out with. And he said, look, we've got four Hercules that are flying down to um, restock the research base. Yeah, we can do this, that and the other. We made plans and we had special tyres coming in from Sweden and oils and all the gear. And two weeks out from riding to southern Chile, actually arriving at the air base, we got an email from uh, Air Commodore Jorge, I forget his last name. Yeah, I can't think of it. He said, listen, guys, I have to change a plan. I've just had my budget cut by uh, three quarters. I've got to take the same amount of gear, but I've only got one plane, not four. There's there's no room. And we've been trying to get back ever since. So realistically today, 
just because of the financial um, cost, it would have to be in tandem with some kind of TV documentary and type thing. considered um, ecologically appropriate yeah. these days. So yeah. uh, you have to take that into account as two mm-hmm. large vehicles. Okay, there's a lot of large vehicles out there. Um, so ours aren't the only ones. Um, but going out there, you have to think about how people are uh, thinking about the environment these days. And Social it, it, responsibility, isn't yeah, it? Is, yeah, is it appropriate mm. now to mm. even say that we want to do it still? Mm. You know, but no, it's another discussion. It is. But again, it's... You know, it's it's one of those tantalising things, isn't it? Because most people don't get that opportunity. They don't mm-hmm. they don't do it because it is so hard, and mm-hmm. because of all these questions. Yeah, yeah, it, for would, sure. it would be great. I mean, if we if we had, I think know, it would be an incredible life experience. What we need actually, mm. Richard Branson to just say, "Those guys, they're British. They need to do it and do it for us." I'm still a virgin. I'll go. <laughs> I'm always attacking. What would this be like if we had booze involved? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I've done the Overland event, actually. I know what it would be like with booze involved. (laughs) Did we have that conversation at ABR about about, about somebody said, um, someone said to us during an interview a couple of years ago, when you travel, um, obviously you're very close. Do you still, he said to us, this is an American, do you take contraception? (laughs) Now, bear in mind, American audiences can be quite PC. Yeah, and yeah. I said, no, actually, we don't use any kind of contraception when we're on the road in countries like Mongolia. You went to Mongolia? And I said, well, we were very short on water. I <laughs> get a little bit lax. So lots of cuddling, not much. Not much. <laughs> and he looked confused and then went, ugh. Just, <laughs> that was the end of that conversation, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, uh, for me, where, where would I like... Uh, I think it would be Syria. Syria was somewhere I really wanted to go. And, and everyone I, I knew who'd been there had said how beautiful the place was, yep. how how incredibly friendly the people were. And that, that was just, that and Mongolia were like two mm. places I really wanted to do on my trip. Mm. And then obviously... Adding Syria, yeah. Yeah, and, and now with what's happened, you're just like, you know, all those ancient, beautiful sites have just been mm. obliterated, allegedly. And I'd like to go oh. to um, Libya too. Mm, and yeah. take out all of the political justice, just just yeah. look at the landscape and the Definitely. Yes. It's weird because my dad my dad had a life in the oil industry and he's been to like he was in Tehran. He's been in Iran, he's been he worked in Nigeria, he's been in all these places in like 50s, 60s, 70s. And I remember him talking about Tehran. Tehran was like it was like a hip place in the yeah. 60s, 70s. Yeah. You know, yeah. People were wearing business suits and they were, they were getting on with life. And yeah. And you look at how it is now and you just think, oh my God. In my head, I'd always imagined it had just been like that. But no, they were really quite progressive and yes. it's gone the way it's gone. Yeah. Who knows though? Time will tell. See what happens. Right. Next one. Stephen Holmes. How are you still together? 12 hours with my wife on my bike and it would be curtains. <laughs> I, you know, it's I, most mostly very obedient but fantastic. I, I, I really have <laughs> no idea. Um, yeah, it's taken a lot of time to train him, like a puppy, <laughs> um, and little treats now and again, and then a lot of. I'm so, I am so grateful. <laughs> Are you of, a lot of tying up? You know. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Good job. Done there's done no booze. <laughs> um, no, this is something. This is something that 
that uh, went through my head with me leaving the old bill and starting to work from home. And then my wife, because of COVID, yeah, she she's in a, a, an office role at the moment within the old bill. And she's working from home most of the time. And it's a, it was a genuine concern for both of us because we'd always been shift workers, almost on opposite shifts. So we'd really only spend any time together for maybe three or four days a month when we were both off at this exactly the same time. And it was a genuine thing in our minds where we were like, how is it going to be actually spending time together? You know, like, is it, is it going to be different? And we've actually really enjoyed it. We've loved it. We didn't expect it, but we we have. How has it been for you guys to go from being on the road all the time? If you don't mind me asking, it's a very personal question. If you don't, going from being on the road for such a long time to now being like based somewhere together. How has that affected you guys? Oh, it's just back to how we were before we started traveling. We we right. were together um, course, all yeah. the time when we, uh, in the first seven, almost for the first seven years we were together all the time. No, I'm telling a lie, we weren't. Don't lie. Um, I'm lying, aren't I? Don't lie. Probably three or four years we were together all the time prior to the trip. And then well, we were when we were okay. We were together all the time prior to the trip up what? until you going to uni- back to university. Well, that's right. That's kind of what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you're on motorcycles, separate motorcycles, you're together, mm. but you're apart. Yeah. So that's quite nice. Um, if I'm uh, angry with him and we had the old autocom units, which had all the wires, you know, and if he's really irritating me, I'd go by and I'd open up and I'd dangle the wire, which I disconnected Limply. like this <laughs> and then shoot off. Um, and, uh, or you just turn your, your, your scene off like, oh, shut up. Yeah. Um, but um, being together now all the time, Horrible. It's really disgusting. It's horrible. <laughs> it's and, disgusting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, it's him. nauseating, quite frankly. Hate him. Totally. You, talking very seriously. You guys, you know, jokes aside, you guys have got you. You appear to have an incredibly strong, open, um, honest open. relationship. What do you mean by that, Bruce? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to go, mate, just say so. It's not appropriate. But do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you are you. Are, you strike me when I've chatted to you uh, at events and then even chatting to you on this podcast as well. You're open about things. You know, you 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 don't seem to hide much from from each other. I, I'm assuming. Obviously, I don't know you all the t- all all the time, but you, if you have an issue, I'm sure the two of you are, are open about it and you deal with it. And and overland travel for that length of time and living in with each other in such tight proximity, you'll have adapted to all that. To me, it feels, looking at you from the outside, that you have a very strong relationship. And I'm assuming that has been cemented through your overland travel. But were you like that before, do you think? Okay, so sensible answer to what is actually a sensible question. Um, Both of us both of us growing up before we met each other, I think we've developed fairly strong personalities and very, very dark, twisted, inappropriate senses of humour. Um, and enough life experience. That it, 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 I guess we're fairly rounded. I want to believe we're fairly rounded. Um, the journey certainly has, yeah, it's definitely cemented an awful lot Um internally in terms of it's that old joke about i, I regularly say during presentations more, more the 
more the serious corporate, you know, motivational stuff. We've learned more about ourselves than we have mm. the world we traveled through. But bringing that, bringing that back to the relationship, um, ultimately, the level of respect use. I yeah. have for Lisa, not not just as my wife, but as as a human being, as a person. I know that sounds a little nauseating. Um, is is boundless because I I can incredibly proudly say that I I know very few people, if any, that are um, that are stronger, more resilient, um, more caring, more passionate than my wife. Now that's a double-edged sword because we have rows all the time. Um, some people think we're going to go nuclear. Um, our relationship is is based an awful lot on just banter and back and forwards um, because I think one of the things that we have managed to do in spite of the journey and the amount of time that we've spent together is we've kept our own personalities. Um, we've all been through those relationships. So they become they become they become so close or so contorted and you end up making so many compromises that you end up mm. losing who you are and you become a couple. And although we're a very strong couple, we're still fiercely independent. I think we, we don't compromise and people find okay. that very, very strange. We don't compromise. I but luckily do what we don't I have want to, to do and you do what you want to do. It just happens that we want to do the same thing. Mm. Oh wow! Interesting. Yeah, I'd have thought it would been all about compromise, but no. yeah, no, that's oh, wow, that's not. interesting. Yeah. No, but don't get don't get me wrong. There are there are some compromises, um, mm. and again, Lisa won't Usually mind. On his Lisa heart. won't mind <laughs> saying this. If there's ever a compromise to be had, it'll be me, um, because Lisa just doesn't back down. Mm. So when I when I'm talking about her being strong and passionate, yeah, there's a wonderfully um, affirming comments at the same time it also means that she's an absolute fucking nightmare to live with because she's never wrong and and will never back down i didn't I, think I, women I, could I, be I, wrong I have, though i have my wife must be like that then i'm always wrong allegedly always always wrong i've had i've had half a dozen physical confrontations in the last 30 years every single one's been started by her <laughs> you know that little sense of that little sense of um I'm going to back down now, otherwise it's going to end badly for me because I've assessed the situation, not yeah. her. Yeah, 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 um, straight in. <laughs> like, and then I might be thinking, oh, that is so cool, that's so brave. This is how I'm thinking, oh, shit, now I've got to deal with the four. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> deal with it. Yes, but when he's six foot four and got an automatic gun in his hand and you're poking him in the chest, telling him he's a very, very bad word after I spent 20 minutes calming him Bringing down. Bringing it down, yeah. And he's also completely <laughs> off his face on drugs. Maybe I didn't read the situation that well, but, you know. But again, being, being a bit more serious, ultimately, one prime mm. example, if it wasn't for Lisa's determination, cool head, um, and just Lisa being Lisa, I would not be alive today. Mm. And that's not just because of the Amazon. So, yeah, the level of respect I have for Lisa is... Um, Especially if you ever let me get a word in edgewise. No, go on, you have a turn. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, but I might change my mind now. You should. Um, I think it is respect. It's also total belief and faith in that other individual. So mm. there have been certain situations where I know Simon was going, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I mm. don't know what I'm going to do. And I have gone, we're going to be fine. 
you're going to sort it. There's something that he needed to sort, not not me. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fine. You're going to sort it. I know. How do you know? I just know you're going to do it. I don't know why I knew that he was going to do it, but he mm-hmm. was going to do it. And and having that faith rather than holy shit, you're hopeless, you fucked up. What are we going to do now? Yeah. Not not, yeah. not having that attitude. Always believing, working together. We people say, how do you allocate what you do? Well, you don't. You just go into your fortes and you know what you're good at. Well, you do if you're lucky enough. Um. Yeah. I mean, we we are very lucky that yeah our our roles within side the you know the motorcycle travel part of our lives which is pretty much all of it they've um they've formed pretty organically there wasn't a point where we said, well I'll do this and you do this I mean we both got strengths and weaknesses um I make I make a joke which actually isn't a joke the research and the route is Lisa. Um, I mean, Lisa is the one that plays the violin and she's a trained musician. Um, she's, she's the smart part. I mean, we went to Russia, you know, she read war, her prep. She read War and Peace. I watched the hundred in October three times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and again, you, you, play, you play to your strengths. Um, and hopefully if you've got somebody supporting you, um, those strengths develop and they become skills and they become attributes. And you end up, if you've been very lucky and you've got half a brain, you end up being cognizant and aware of the effort and the time and the compromise that the other person's putting in. A lot of this is yeah. being aware. Uh, and, wow. and, and actually acknowledge Wow, it's beautiful words, man. Your bit's great, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Right, I'm just conscious of the time. That is uh, over two hours already at the moment. Are you guys okay for time? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right, okay. I've got a six-hour drive. I'm putting it off. Carry on. Blimey, where are you you off to? It's not six hours. It's not. It's four. Four hours. Well, we're currently in in Friends just south of Bristol. Mm-hmm. And we're in their kitchen, and next door, going, "Come on, come in and make a cup of coffee." And yeah, we're, yeah. And we're uh, heading back to uh, to, Wales. to Wales. We've got a photo course of ours coming up. So. Oh yeah, of course you do. Yes, yes, right, right, right. Um, yeah, we, we discussed this, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me again, folks, just another shout out for this week's sponsors, who are the Influencer Store. The Influencer Store helps you build your brand, big or small, providing you with a solution and apparel. We help you to increase your fan base while supporting you with starting your own influencer clothing line with nothing more than just an idea or design, and there are no hidden costs. For more info, come check us out at theinfluencerstore.co.uk or drop us an email or drop us an email at online at influencerstore.co.uk for more information. And now if you've got any of my merch over at teapot1.com, all of that is handed by Roger and Charlotte over at the Influencer Store. Really good quality. It's British made. That's why I've gone with them. So a huge thanks to the Influencer Store. Lastly, folks, this is just one from me. It's a massive shout out to each and every one of you who's listened to the podcast, each and every one of you that watches the vids, both here and across on the main Teapot One channel. Thank you very much for all your support. Thank you very much for engaging in the comments, uh, liking and sharing the social media stuff, liking and sharing the vids. Sharing vids is a huge thing really is you've got no idea how much that helps you bump you up in the algorithm so if you enjoy what you watch what you listen to share it amongst all your mates and thank you very much for all those of you over in the clan on patreon 
not much I can say except, you know, a heartfelt thank you. You folks go that extra mile and I really do appreciate it. I couldn't do this without your support. If you fancy checking that out, head to patreon.com forward slash teapot one. Okay then, let's get back to the chat. Uh, right, next one. Ah, Pete Hastelow. You know Pete as well, I'm sure. Hello, Pete. There we go, yeah. <laughs> That's, that was my reaction when I saw it. I thought, oh no, what's he going to ask? Lisa, 17 years on the road and four years in a shed with Simon. What are his most annoying habits? Oh, it just got longer. <laughs> what are his most annoying habits? How long have you got? <laughs> I was so nice. I was so nice. But but I have to say this: what is it with men of a certain age that they begin to snore? I see. I've always done that. I've always been a snore. No, she was asking. So your 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 bedfellows? How many of your boyfriends snore, Bruce? (laughs) (laughs) Depends how tired they are. Exactly. That's a recent development, and and it. I don't sleep well anyway. I, mm-hmm. I I sleep. I maybe grab two hours here, an hour here. I've never slept well. So mm-hmm. all in all, I don't know. Maybe I get four hours a night, something like yeah. that. Now I'm getting even less than that because of him. Um, wow. so that's I also annoying. had. I've also had long COVID for a year and a half, and I think I'm finally feeling a little bit better. But I do wonder, jokes aside, whether that mm-hmm. had, had something to do with it. And the mm-hmm. other no- most annoying habit. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, 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 which so ones can I four hours, say? Four hours in the car, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> remember, the whole, remember the whole respect thing we just rambled on about? Yeah, I know. Get the, 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 the phrase, <clears throat> just a second. <laughs> Almost finished. No, not that. Just no, a second. No, computer course I just thought. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Still hate you. Got a new one. Um, 
No, you don't. I do. Right, moving on. No, I do. What are you going to say? No, I want to say, why is it? Because, of course, we've been outside, living outside. So, you know, go to... I'm actually nervous now. Go, go to the loo, go outside. So why is it that you miss... That's a guy thing. Why do you miss uh, the toilet bar? I, I, I Yes, you... No, I've, I've learned and adapted. I, I've, I've learned and I've overcome. I'm not just going to sit down. <laughs> I had this the other day. Like my my, I went to the toilet, and as far as I was aware, everything's fine. Yeah. Came away. My wife went into the toilet, and she was like, "You've peed all over the floor." And I'm like, "No, I didn't. I've gone back and I had." And I'm like, "How have I missed? How have I missed?" Because obviously it dangles in the bowl. It's like a fire hose. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that. As the years have gone on, like as I've got older, yeah, just I don't know, I don't know why or how that happens. I don't, I've got no no idea. Out of fear now, um, <laughs> I just I just sit down. It's easier, and I'm lazy. <laughs> well, this is your opportunity because Pete has another question. In fact, oh, Pete, Pete seems, Pete no, seems Pete. to have a few questions. He says, Simon. 17 years on the road and three years on a shed. Well, how come you said three and you said four? Anyway, three years on a shed with Lisa. One, yeah. does she need a medal? And two, what are her most endearing qualities? Ooh, well, I think we kind of touched that, didn't we? So well. Yes, she definitely needs a medal for so many things. And most endearing qualities, um, Lisa's drive to take care of the people that are important to her and her loyalty. Mm-hmm. Her loyalty yep. is unquestionable, and sometimes that's a great thing. Most times it's a great thing. Sometimes um, it backfires a little bit, but no, mm. lo- loyalty and strength. Nice. I found Very like nice. a great big, she- you know, German shepherd or something. <laughs> yeah, she mops like a mother. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Picking up the hair is tricky. You know, combing her in the morning is a little awkward. I could get a few fun looks from the neighbours. <laughs> Um, but no, she's just gonna follow on me to make me upset. Yeah, <laughs> right, moving That's on again. Pineapple, pineapple. Um, and he also says, Ask Simon to show you how to dance YMCA. I had to teach him. That's definitely going to be an overland event thing, that isn't That's it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, cheers, Pete. Thanks for that, pal. Next one, Pete English. Ah, now Pete's not been on the uh, podcast for a while with his questions, but he's renowned for his questions. So let's see what he puts in here. A hundred episodes. Congratulations on how well the podcasts have done, Bruce. It's fantastic. Thank you very much, mate. It's getting harder and harder to come up with these very important life questioning, challenging and original questions. So my question, do you believe that's it? Do we get only one bite at this thing we call life, or is there more? Do we get another go? Good question. I believe life in its current iteration, as we perceive it here and now, is a one-time go-around, and everything mm. we do, we're accountable for. Right, okay. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So do you think there's another iteration then? There's something else going on? I... I want I want to believe so. Yeah, mm. I think there has to be because the other part of it is just in mind blowingly unable to comprehend. Um well if you take if you take spirituality and religion completely off the table and we just look scientifically mm. at life. Energy 
cannot simply vanish. It, yeah. it, it is a transformative effect where it gets passed into something else. Yeah. So whether or not purely on a, on a, on a scientific level, uh, on a physics basis, you argue that I, I can't imagine, I don't want to imagine that this level of passion, enthusiasm, love, fear, everything that makes us who we are individually just becomes nothing. Mm. Um, that, would, that would seem incredibly wasteful. Whether or, whether or not there's a consciousness that moves forward, who knows? That's another adventure, and um, who knows? But, it, sorry, um, go on. No, I was going to say... You don't ponder on it much because there is no answer. Mm. But I always think if you're here and now and you're experiencing and feeling and talking, etc., what is the nothing afterwards? Mm. So that so in my mind, you think, well, there's got to be something. And that's how a lot of anyway, we're not going into religion or anything, but um the thought of just that door coming down and a nothingness is something that you can't comprehend. Mm. You can't you can't think about it. Well, if you do think about it, you'd probably go, ooh, nothing. Yeah, of course, so, yeah. Um on my mind, there has to there has to be something. You would hope there is something, but nobody's going to come back and actually tell you that there is. So mm. you've just got to hope and plan that there might be. Um Simon's point about energy can't just fizzle out into nothingness so it our energy goes somewhere um into what and how you don't know which is why you do have to make the most of things which is why when when you see others going through a tumultuous time you you want to you want to say to them stop take take note of where you are live in the moment even if it's mm. just seconds and and just be aware of the joy that you may be feeling in those moments yeah up on the back enjoy enjoy momentarily the rewards of what may have been years worth of effort so many people ourselves included before the journey we were so busy looking over our shoulders trying to learn key lessons to make the future better or so busy worrying about the next goal the next milestone the next dollar or pound earned the yeah. next the next achievement mm -hmm. that we never actually give ourselves the the luxury of being in the moment going yeah. this is this is really good i'm actually yeah. i'm actually happy right now I, I'm, I feel rewarded this is fantastic this is here this is now this is real wow great. you do that a lot more than me i'm a worrier i worry 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 about everything and everyone and everything. i'm glad you i'm glad you said that actually lisa because yeah. i i found i i was i was like what you just said there simon when i was traveling like once i once i was in sort of like six weeks eight weeks in and, and you're into life on the road and it's now become it's life now isn't it and, and yeah. that's that and i i very much had that mindset but <clears throat> i do find now particularly since i've gone self-employed where you know, there are those financial worries every every month. You've you've got set bills that need to be paid, don't you? So you're like, right, I've got to do this, got to do that. And I do find myself constantly, I find myself constantly having to remind myself of my own mantra, of my whole my own live your life mm -hmm. sort of ethos that that I base my whole my whole trip was about, and the whole my whole brand is about that live your life thing. And I do find myself having to constantly go. Hang on, just look, look where you are, look what you've achieved. Mm -hmm. You're still here, you're still breathing, you still got the roof over your head. 
you know, there are still things most that you it. can find joy in. And I'm using that word in I'm, I'm using that word in particular. So some of this might sound rehearsed because a couple of years ago we we're in America, we were doing a number of talks about well, we we give, we give a number of presentations, but there was one about managing stress and just mm. being mentally aware and so forth. And one of the conversations that comes up today with Lisa and I, because it's so easy to fall back into those old mental habits. And Lisa is a worrier. And she says to me, how can you not be worried about this? And I say, well, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the ramifications of this particular thing not working out. But I'm not going to worry about it if I cannot directly affect it. Mm -hmm. If it is truly out of my control, then me spending time and my limited cognitive ability worrying about it is just not productive. She said, mm. well, how do you turn it off? And I said, well, practice, and I choose to, because there are other things that are worthy of my attention that I can directly affect. Yeah. And I don't have a limitless number of waking hours or mental and physical energy. So I'm just allocating resources. That's all I'm doing. I've been thinking about this recently, though, in that, my period of time riding on the bike during the day would be, and many people say this, it's your level of meditation. Your brain mm -hmm. goes off. I don't listen to music. I, I just experience and concentrate and look and think. Be in a no, yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't even think. Sometimes, you know, it's empty up there. Welcome to life as a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm planning ahead of, of anything, you know, border crossings or food or whatever. Um, and since being off the bike, everything seems to cram in on you. Um, you don't have that period. I don't seem to have that period of uh, meditation, if you want to call it Motorcycling that. is meditative. Yes. Because mm. especially if you're off road, for example, for us, all of your concentration is basically focused on fighting physics and standing yeah. upright because yeah. there's, there's billions of reasons why you should be falling off that bike and one reason you're still on it and that's your level of focus it's like juggling you're not worrying about all the other things and ifs and maybes you're focused on this one task whereas being where we are now um everything is 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 in your brain this that percolating all the time or mine mm -hmm. is anyway don't know about yours is because you just concentrate on netflix i like lifting um, up heavy so, things <laughs> um, well, i would have been thinking about when we've been on these events and uh, you get people doing yoga and things like that well we like to exercise regularly anyway but i was thinking how about some meditation i quite I was, like some meditation i was going to say to you like what what do you replace that that sort of introspective time that you get when you're riding a bike when you're traveling now now when you're not riding and you're you're sort of more stationary what where do you get that time so yeah training. meditation training. i love absolutely adore weight training mm -hmm. i like going to a gym i like lifting heavy weights and i can actually lift quite heavy and it's just harking back to the old days of what <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, Harking back to the old days when I used to train an awful lot, and and it, I, I just love doing it. Your brain just focuses on that one thing that you're doing. I don't mm. like running. I like walking, and luckily we're in Snowdonia, so we get yeah, the opportunity yeah. to do that. Not as much as we would like, um, but we also have that. Um, but training for me, um, anything that takes our concentration totally. So for me. Training is one of those things because we're always pushing ourselves way past our comfort zones. <laughs> um, training and ironically for me, movies. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, bearing in mind Netflix Prime, all these things came along, and I kept having friends going, "Oh, I've just binge to watch this." And I'm yeah. watching because we've never had internet. Yeah. It's yeah. been good enough or consistent but enough. But sometimes you do watch the most incredible shit. Yes. <laughs> and it really yeah, but you can does. you can just switch it off, can't switch you? Off. Switch it off. Joking, I am a little bit like Lisa. If I if I'm not completely connected and engaged with something, my brain just doesn't turn off. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not one of those guys that can just go on to a beach and lie down for half a day. You know, half an hour, I'm like, okay, what's next? I need to go and yeah. do something. What, what needs to be done? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, any, anything that can distract me fully. What did you watch the other day? And it, I did not understand it at all. For it was disappointing. Yeah, we just watched the new Thor film. Love oh, and Thunder. I've not seen it. No, I've not seen it. What? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for a bit of tongue-in-cheek, but it was just, at the end of it, I went, mm. I can't believe I'm going to say this. That was pants. See, I, I don't really I don't really watch much of that type of film. I like the Iron I Man. I the whole fantasy but... comic thing, but the new Marvel, the new Thunder. I, mean, Chris I, only, watch it, I only watch it because of Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, same as my wife, actually, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Any more questions? Uh, yeah, there's two more. Um, there's a load over on Instagram, but what I was thinking, because time's cracking on, I think you guys are doing the uh, Armchair Adventure Festival, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think I'm down because I'm doing some live podcast, like half hour chat things there when I'm there. Yeah. And I think I'm down to have a chat with you guys again. So maybe oh. we could go through those those Instagram yeah. questions there because I know time's... Yeah, you know, we're I, happy to do that. It'd be fun. Hours. Maybe Lovely. we'll have a cider in hand or something. Yeah, I think it might. Yeah, there might be a couple of beers. Then we can actually have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> and another well, thing. What, what are the last two then? Right. Michael Heaton, congrats on episode 100. Thank you very much, Michael. Question to you all. I often wake up with a song on my mind playing over and over. This morning's was Slipknot's Never Forget. Do you guys wake with a song in your heart? If so, what was the most recent? Ooh. Do you know what? This oh. is some really good questions. I know it. It's no, my favourite. No. My favourite. It's my anthem. I, don't, I actually don't know what you're going to say. My queen. Oh. I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want now. You wake up with that? My God, you must be like driving with ambition when you get up. <laughs> Frankly, it's just fucking intimidating. Um, most mornings, no, but there's a, there's a few songs I've heard recently. It just took me straight back. One recently was Ed Sheeran's The Shape of You. Uh-huh. Uh, and because it was a song that when we were in Mexico down in the Yucatan, uh, I was doing some work on both the bikes and we were living on a Mexican beach, as you do, for about three weeks. Whilst <laughs> so I was horrible. Yeah. The wiring loom and doing all this stuff. And then we had a very, very good friend of ours. Hello, James, you'll be watching this, who said, um, yeah, I've got this incredible palace. <laughs> Here are the keys. And so suddenly we had this swimming pool and just incredibly wow. luxurious situation. And this song had just come out um, and it would just seem to be on repeat all the time. And I heard it and I was just transported back to just, you know, relaxing, easy, wonderful, luxurious days of, of, of good times. But do you actually have one that you, that you think of when you wake up? Not when I wake up. Although typically I am the kind of person that I have, I have some kind of music playing all the time i find it very relaxing i find it helps me concentrate um, yeah. i just absolutely love the fact that um, running up the hill by kate bush is back in vogue 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Stranger Things. Um, I am I am 100% not a morning person. I I hate mornings. I feel terrible when I wake up, and it's generally about this time when I start feeling like alive, really. So we mornings... We have noticed we have just, up, because, you know, to begin with this interview was just bloody hard just work. Just bloody, but yeah, sorry about but, that. Oh, so, God, who's going to get going? But I do have a song that's, especially when I'm on the bike, that's always in my head, and it's, at, it's Country Road. I don't know why. You know, Take Me Home, Country Road, mm-hmm. that one. I bet he listens to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> it's, I bet it's, growing up his favourite show was the Dukes of Hazard. Yes, yes, loved it, loved it. Daisy oh, Duke. Come on, you had a crush on Daisy Duke. Who didn't? Who, who didn't? No. <laughs> no, what? I know loads of women that fancy Daisy Duke. Smash. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, me, it's country country road. Don't know why. It's just always in my head when I'm, especially when I'm traveling. Yeah, it's always in there. Don't know why. Anyway, good question, Michael. Last one. Michael Whiting. Hi, all. Well done, Bruce. Looking forward to another hundred. Thank you very much. Question. In all your amazing travels, what was the worst breakdown you had to deal with? Oh, easy. Easy, easy peasy. Uh, when on three, one, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a place to break down. The key, I mean, without going into details, the biggest challenge I had with that is that I know nothing about electrics. I mean, literally mm-hmm. nothing. And the entire wiring six point four feet of the entire wiring loom, which bundles sixty-four wires wires together, the entire thing fried, which meant that every single um piece of wire that is normally color coded just That's melted. Strange. Oh. So two and a half days, taking the entire thing out, taking off all the wrapping around the whole thing. Where it says, says, do not. At all, you're not to tamper with this and cut it. We're cutting it. And um, luckily, I, mean, I had um, wiring diagram. a wiring diagram in the back of the Haynes manual, the printed manual. And I often, I remember looking at the Haynes manual and looking at this wiring diagram and going, yep, that's very pretty. I hope to never know what any of that means. I had yeah, a wiring yeah, yeah. diagram. Simon was on the floor looking at all the wires and he said, I think this is a yellow. Is it a, I don't know, possibly a yellow. Okay, that yellow one goes, reading the wiring diagram. That's meant to go over here. So look for the wire, yellow bit over here. Didn't know what the yellow bit did. Oh my God! There's nothing to join it because it's fried and burnt and mushed. And it, with there were the other there were 36 complete breaks where somewhere in the wiring loom the wire had just gone ping. Wow! Um, bearing in mind at the time I'm blind in this eye and paralysed on my left hand side, and she's got malaria. Sometimes <laughs> overland travels awesome, isn't it? We thought we do it, people, on at least three three occasions. And then we'd then Simon would start the bike, and I'd go stop, 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 smoke. And then I would try and sniff from where the smoke was coming from, and go, it came from here, and then undo it all again and find the burning again. And after then. after we got to Sao Paulo, and I'd had the medical emergency to repair the broken neck and a little bit of recuperation, and she'd got tablets Just from like the in there, broken neck, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We ended up being invited to BMW Motorrad Brazil to the head office to give a, a bit of a talk about some of our travels and all their top bods are there. Officer, that was the BMW. No, it was BMW. No, no, it was BMW. No, 
the guys who actually worked on your wiring loom and brought a new one in, wasn't it, officer? Yeah, that was the dealership. That was the dealership, yeah. But we got we got invited to the actual offices of BMW, and they were being visited by some engineers from Germany, just mm-hmm. coincidentally. So we're in this very austere BMW office. There's a whiteboard and there's a projector, and you know we're going through our, our, our show and tell. And then we, we get to the Amazon. And there's, and there's, and there's photographs of me, you know, unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just taking photographs. Sorry, Mum, she's a bad person. <laughs> and we're beginning to talk about so the picture of the wiring looms. Very well. This sounds like a bad Indiana Jones movie. It was four days, and all we had. I know it sounds cliche. We literally had a Leatherman and some duct tape and duct tape. That's, wow. that's all we had. That's bearing it. in mind, bearing in mind that for every ten pieces of duct tape, we would cut. Only one would stick because the oil, the sweat, the grease. Anyway, we were showing these BMW guys and there's these Germans and they're sat in the front and they're wearing their immaculate BMW suits. Yeah. <laughs> and these guys are just going, huh? <laughs> and then finally we hear, and the lights are off, no one should be talking. Nine. 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 You cannot do this in English. You, you cannot do this. And I'm still talking, but trying to ignore them. No, this is impossible. Like, eventually, we stopped the presentation. The lights went on. And I, I thought about like, who's talking and making a joke out of it. But these guys are quite serious. No, you cannot do this. This is not possible. I'm like, well, no, we, we did this. What, cutting into the wiring loop? Yeah, yeah like you, you can't do it. And how we fixed it and what we joined to do what and how I mean, we found out things. I mean, we didn't just have a Leatherman and duct tape. We had all the other tools as well, but all those other tools were just useless for the wiring loom. So mm-hmm. when we were cutting the wiring loom and, and trying to get the wires attached, it was a Leatherman and duct tape. Wow. It. Yeah. And you got it going. <laughs> yeah. So many false starts. And then we had to keep it going. We, we kept it going for for three weeks. Now, again, the details we don't normally share because we just don't. We got out of the Amazon. <laughs> then it got bad. So once we got to the first village, um, I was in a pretty bad, well, we were both in a pretty bad state. But mechanically, from the very beginning of the journey, now bearing in mind we were mechanically, we were numbers, didn't know a thing. We'd learned an awful lot. Um, but I, I, I actually carried a rear wheel bearing now, for any of those that do or don't know, on the 1100 and 1150, I think it's still the same, the 12 and the 1250, this is a gigantic bearing that's a press-on. Well, the real wheel bearing decided just to just to ship the bed, and this is only just out of the Amazon jungle. And so we managed to get ourselves um, to this small agricultural school that by some miracle actually had an electricity source and a fridge freezer. Now, why is that important? Well, first of all, on the edge of the Amazon, fridge freezers are just unheard of. And I had this spare. So I managed to get the whole rear assembly done, the crown gear done, and we ended up taking the entire assembly. Um, I managed to get an angle grinder and without damaging the crown gear, got the old old um, bearing off. Bearing out. Mm-hmm. And then effectively what we did is we put the crown gear and everything else into the freezer overnight. The following morning, 
put a bunch of engine oil into a frying pan over a hot stove and literally just boiled, boiled, this, it, yeah. boiled it for maybe an hour. Then got a hammer. And then got them both together. So you've got the freezing crown gear and the freezing system. The very, very hot now expand, expanded metal mm. of the bearing and literally just went round for half an hour, tapping it into place until it stopped moving. We had no idea whether it was actually level Good or not. God. Yeah. And that kept us going. Oh, and then the ingenuity of that is phenomenal. Well, well, then we carried on, and what else happened? Uh, uh, your, uh, what's something else? Broke the electrics out? went, yeah. uh, the yeah. gearing yeah. went, uh, and then finally 600 miles outside of San Paolo in torrential rain, the yeah. whole sensor gave up the ghost. The, the what did? The hall sensor. So basically the sensor that, okay, the hall sensor basically identifies <laughs> whereabouts in the engine it's firing and when does right. it fuel and everything else. It's pretty, pretty critical. No hall okay. sensor, the bike's not doing anything. It's now just a glorified paperweight that says BMW. And then mine stopped and mine never, ever broke down. It never had a misfire. It never had any issues along the way. And that one morning, it just didn't start, which was a lifesaver actually because the road going into Sao Paulo was so atrocious that had Simon decided to ride it he, he could have been paraplegic by now because when we got to the hospital they said he was a millimeter away half a millimeter, half a millimeter away. The, the blindness was because my c6 my c6 and my c7 vertebrae were broken and now dislocated and oh so the blindness was actually because my C6 vertebrae was now touching and impeding on, into, into the spinal cord. And you just driven, you just not only fixed, but ridden a bike through the Amazon. For three weeks. It was not good. <laughs> when someone says, when's the worst time? Yeah, it's, pretty, the worst time. it's pretty easy. That, that was Mike's second part to his question. What, what country was the hardest to traverse on the bikes? I'm assuming Amazon is, is it. After that, the Amazon was... Mm. But prior to it, I mean, it was heavy going, but I would yeah, have still Brazil, done it Brazil, right. Brazil was an easy country to travel through. I mean, bearing in mind that we, we specifically chose that particular route from Manaus down to Porto Velo, yeah. because as far as we could tell, and I think that's still the case today, it had never been attempted or, or, uh, on large capacity bikes. And we wanted to be the first, and we thought we were up to it, but let's not Jeez. make any bones about the fact that this word adventure that I think is horribly overused mm. does actually mean starting down a path that you are responsible for and that has risks. And on yeah. this given day, yeah. basically the bridge gave away. I fell, broke my neck. I Shit just happens. I think we were on, on task, though. I estimated it'd be four and a half days, and I think we would have done it in four and a half days. Yeah. It's just that you decided to fall off a bridge. I mean, we had road <laughs> We knew there were going to be sections that we had to manhandle the bikes over obstacles. We had yeah. a pretty good idea yeah. if we would get okay. into. Yeah. It just went sideways, and then it's our jobs to reassess, adjust, and get out of adapt, it, adapt, and get on with it and get out of it. I mean, I could, I that's almost three hours we've been chatting, and I, I could happily do another three, but I won't put you through that. Um, where can people go? to find out more about your trip to, I mean, do you, do you have the YouTube series? Is there, do you have books? Just plug away. What have you got about the trip? Um, we are absolutely bloody awful. Um, we, we, we don't post enough to YouTube and we should, because we've now got 8.3 terabytes of video from the trip. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so quick couple of quick plugs. Um, right now we are promoting um, our new brand, our new business venture, because we've got bills to pay. Um, we're very, very lucky to have worked with some of the biggest manufacturers, camera manufacturers and organizations around the world. Um, we worked with Nikon for many, many years. Um, if you if you like pretty pictures, and who doesn't, uh, go and have a click on www.printsprints and then to ride the world.com. So the three W's you actually need to put in, it's a redirect. So www.printsprints, the number two, and then ride the world.com. That's our, that's our basically our gallery. There's no, no big website. It's literally just five galleries of landscape shots, adventure shot. That's for me on bikes, try not to fall off and kill ourselves. Um, portraits, uh, wildlife. That, that's all that's there. We are working currently on uh, revamping our website yet again, trying to keep up with the uh, new technology that's coming out. Um, as you can imagine, it's a massive task. Uh, we do have our toridetheworld.com uh, website and social media. Everything's under To Ride the World. Um, <clears throat> so, fake, fake, Facey Storebook, To Ride the World. Yeah. Instagram, To Ride, to ride the, the World. world. Um, but and again, that to ride the world is a number two. Yeah. Put mm -hmm. something else in. Uh, I'll put all the links down below. All the links, folks. So yeah. if you're listening the to the one, podcast, the check one, out the show one notes. we're excited about right now because it is a new baby. It's a new venture. It's us being serious for a change. Is Living Lens. So we we still sell photographs. We're still very lucky to work with a number of organisations around the world. But so many people have got cameras, and so many people have smartphones that take great shots. And people are still saying, "Look, I." Every now and again, I get a great shot, but I'm not sure how to replicate that. So we started a photography school, um, livinglens.photography is that website. And uh, last year and this year, we've run a number of weekend workshops where people turn up, get fed beautifully, great accommodation. Earlier, and we teach them all the stuff that we wish we'd known before we mm. set off. Mm -hmm. And then next year, I think we'll do something similar. We're also going to bring out new courses focusing on just teaching people how to take really you know, fantastic shots with their cell phones and how to edit them. We give people a, a few fantastic. chances to work on some of our photographs alongside us. So some of our uh, photos from uh, the trip that possibly haven't been looked at or edited since we first took them. Mm. And then we all sit and edit them together and then obviously talk a little bit about uh, what went behind getting the shot. Maximum yeah. fun, minimum jargon. These are how to take the kind of shots we all want to take and this is how to edit them and have some fun. I'm, I'm, I'm deadly serious about that. I know Simon, you and I sort of joked about it earlier, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay and I'm going to come and I'm going to do that course with you, and um, I'll do, a, I'll do a wee vid on it because I think that I think would be, that be there's definitely a, there's definitely um, a lot of people like me who you know we've all got these phones on us that take amazing pictures, and I haven't got a Scooby how to set yep. up a good shot up. So um, yeah, I'll do that for sure. It'll be fun. Sure. It'll be fun. We have. Um... A load of stories, as you can well imagine, and we are setting up. We had a lot of diary up online at one point, and then we realised it needed to be taken down and re-edited because of the picture hosting had changed. So uh, we're having to uh, revamp all of that um, and redo the, the photographic side within the journal itself. But upon doing that, we are also working on a short storybook. Uh, it won't be... Uh, oh, my God, the amount of people that have asked 
said, so what's the book coming out? I'm like, it's too intimidating. We're not going to do, do from 2003 right the way through to, you know, 16 years later. That's not going to happen. I think we um, decided what we're going to do to make it manageable to write and fun to write. Because trust me, if it's not fun to write, it's going to read like shit. It, become, it becomes laborious, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. The best, I think the best thing we can do for ourselves and to make sure that what people read is actually enjoyable um, is we're going to create a number of books and inside each of the books will just be a set of short stories mm-hmm. rather yeah. than some big monologue which you know and one of the first short stories that we've almost completed um is the amazon story but this time yeah. it's simon's voice and then it's my voice yeah are you, you're going to do audio books as well are you uh, well, it's going to be my story. Um, yeah. And then also. Written from the two perspectives. Well, can you write right. an audio book with us? Oh, I'm not kidding you. I, I'm, I'm going to do it myself for my book because so many people, with the greatest respect, there's not that many people out there now that actually physically will pick a book up and read the book. Audiobooks. It's like podcasts, po- audiobooks. They're just there. Yep. People can carry on doing what they're doing. And you, you'll see. Everyone I know that's released the audiobook, they're all the sales are like exponentially higher than standard book sales. I could do, I could do the audio, but but I, I guess the first one will be the Amazon story because it's funny. Mm. I, just just being sensible again for a quick second. Um, it's been very cathartic to write the Amazon story. I've written it once for an American magazine that I was writing for, but it was it wasn't my voice. They wanted mm. it written in a very particular way. Um, it was very desensitized. Um, it was um, because of the writing restrictions. It, it wasn't a true account, um, and I feel terrible um, because at the moment I was asked to I was asked to write an article for um, Overland Journal, who's a beautiful magazine out of the USA. I mean, beautifully printed. It's just a cracker. And I, I typically you've got three and a half thousand words maximum. And I started mm. writing it and I got so into writing this story um, that it very quickly became 10 and a half, 12,000 words. And I wasn't even getting into it yet. And they can't, they're not going to print it. It's too many words. And mm. I still haven't had that conversation where I've said to them, look, I, I can't give you this article. This is going to be a book. Yeah. Um, just because of how it's expanded. But I'd write, I'd write for a couple of hours and I didn't have to go and sit down because I was absolutely mentally spent. Yeah. Because when I you're reliving write, it again. I'm reliving it and um yeah. I'm reliving stuff that that was neither physically or mentally comfortable. I mean, this is the most uncomfortable and the most um yeah, uh, it's very difficult to put into words, and that's so- why I struggle to write it. That's actually coming out, and I know we have been saying that for a little while, um, but it's it's an incredibly hard thing to do. We had this lovely idea about producing a sex book. <laughs> but we're it still researching We're still researching yes. <laughs> This is a halfway joke, maybe not totally. So... So the base of the book was going to be it was going to be it was a hundred hundred sexual positions in a tent. But we realised you didn't know a hundred. <laughs> and it was like a humus, a, an adventure camping cumasatra, cumasatra, cumasatra. And we've actually spoken to our tent manufacturer, who's our sponsor, called Hillyberg. And we've actually said to them, "Do you mind if we do this? It'll be yeah. illustrated." Yeah. Because your tent's quite recognisable, and we're going to call it Tentatrix X. <laughs> <laughs> Tentatrix. I love it. That's brilliant. 
Still going to call it that, yeah. Because we think it's the same kind of thing. We've got dirty dining. We have centric sense. Didn't even mention that yet. And, oh, yeah, dirty dining, the, the, the cookbook. cookbook. Um, and it's got short little vignette stories associated with some of the things. And sex book. Um, and then Simon is in the process also of writing a, um, a, a photographic book, really for, for beginners, for adventurers. And is, I this, is, this, is this linked to the Tentrix? Tentrix well, I'm actually thinking of calling it Exposed. <laughs> so we'll have Dirty Dining, Tentrix Sex, Exposed. And, Loving um, it. Yeah. This what, is you see the theme here. Ten, the, the Tentrix book. <laughs> what of your solo travel? <laughs> Oh, we've got that back covered as well. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, just make sure you give half your panniers to lube. <laughs> wow. I'm and so on that note. I'm looking forward to seeing whether you edit this. No, not a chance. No way. I'm not, there's nothing that's been edited on this. I love it. I love I mean, it. Love it. Um, guys, I've absolutely loved this. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I look forward to having a beer with you at the Armchair event. That sounds absolutely yeah. fantastic. Make a plan coming up soon. Absolutely. It's a couple of weeks' time. So, yeah. folks, yeah. if you've not got tickets yet, make sure you head across. Again, I'll leave all links down below. And we'll see you there. Um, guys, Brilliant. wishing you the very best. And uh, can't wait to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate you being so open and uh, uh, honest with us. Uh, what can I say, folks? It's been a pleasure sure. and an experience. <laughs> as always, as always. <laughs> folks, check out the links down below. Make sure you give them a like, a follow across all the social medias. And um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this one. The 100th episode, it's been a special one. Keep doing your thing. Getting out there whenever you can. Look after those that you love. But most importantly, most importantly, live your life. Woo-ha! Guys, that was mega. Thank you so much for coming on.